The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcast On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and independent wrestling standout Tony Donati. On today's show, we will review Dominion and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. And like you heard in the intro, we are joined by Tony Donati. You might we are, re- not 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 just Tony Donati, not just independent wrestling standout Tony Donati, but this is an AEW alumni. Okay, this is the former Sai Dojo World Heavyweight Champion and current. Cur- oh, current. <laughs> Never been and, beaten. And. One half of the most dominant tag team in Diamond Championship Wrestling history, undisputed Triple Crown champions, along with the fabulous Fabu Andre. Andre. Tony, what's up, man? Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for the great intro from you two guys. Yeah, good glad to be to ha- here. Yeah, glad to have you on the show. Uh, listeners, you might recognize the name Tony Nadi from AEW Dark. You know, during the uh, the pandemic days in uh, Jacksonville, uh, Daly's Place, they had the, the marathon tapings, and uh, Tony and his partner Fabu were uh, several of the standout guys there that were doing tons of those uh, late-night dark tapings. Yeah, you say late-night. We had a few matches at, like, 1 in the morning past midnight, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, man. And, and also, uh, like Josh mentioned, side dojo trainee, trained a little bit with uh, the young boy, Josh Smith, uh, Tony, how, how would you rate uh, Josh's performance during his time beside Dojo? Oh, 
five stars, obviously. Yeah, clearly five <laughs> stars. Uh, no, Josh was good. You know, he was getting the hang of it. He had a really good grasp of how to wrestle. He just needed to get in a little better shape. We needed some more dojo squats and dojo push-ups out of That's him. That's right. That's right. When it came to when it came to the graphs and in between the squared circle, I got it done. Okay. It's just that other bullshit that you don't really need, like <laughs> physical fitness, <laughs> like the cardio, the cardio. <laughs> yeah, you don't need any of that. Uh, agility, uh, flexibility, speed, explosivity, athleticism. That shit doesn't matter. But when it comes to the wrestling, okay. Josh excels. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, but in, in all seriousness, Tony's probably a side. I mean, Matt was like my primary trainer, but like, you know, Matt was only there half the time. Like Tony probably spent more time training me than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, at that time I was helping Matt a lot because he was gone with AEW all the time. And, you know, I was there from the beginning when Matt opened his school. I was his only student for, I don't know, six months. Wow. Well, there's been a lot of people that have come out of that school that have gone on to do really great things. You're uh, one of them. And, uh, you know, I remember a while back you reached out to me and you were like, you know, I got invited to do this podcast. Should I do it? And I was like, yeah, you should definitely do it. So I was surprised to learn that this is your first podcast appearance anywhere. Like we're definitely privileged and honored. Ever. Never done a podcast before. (laughs) Only go for the ace. That's right. <laughs> uh, and Tony, anytime we have a uh, new guest on the show, I like to get their little their background on with New Japan. So, when did you first uh, start watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, or um, even just Japanese wrestling in general? Well, I knew about Japanese wrestling, like I guess from the periphery, because my favorite wrestlers were all like Calgary guys. Mm-hmm. So you know they had that thing back and forth in New Japan. So like I knew it existed. I just didn't watch it i guess the first matches that i remember seeing from new japan specifically were dynamite and tiger mask nice and then i got into japanese wrestling heavily after i started training with matt and that's almost exclusively all that i watch you know i I don't really keep up with the american stuff it's almost all japanese or mexican so, I mean, probably what, because of Matt, like a lot of Lucha Rezu influence. Yeah. You know, Dragon Gate would be number one because that's, that's fits close to his style, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I do watch a lot of, uh, you no, know, I watch the best of the super juniors. I'm still getting caught up on this year's tournament, but I saw like the, the big matches as they were happening. I go back and watch most of the matches. I might skip through some and I'll watch, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. And obviously this year I watched Dominion, but I don't watch every big show every year. Yeah, nice. too, too busy with uh, dates, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? It's too busy with dates, right? You're you're running the town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're usually booked when a show's going on, so <laughs> I don't get to see many of them. I watched um, the Long Beach show some earlier this month. Yeah, some of it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, who's your uh, favorite New Japan wrestler? Uh, it's hard not to say Tanahashi, but probably right now Shingo. Nice, can't go Just wrong big, with either of those picks. <laughs> a big mark for Shingo, and you know, like I feel like Tanahashi gets the uh, he gets grandfathered in that being everybody's favorite. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and then uh, last thing here, what's your favorite New Japan match? Uh, I guess I'd have to go with the Dynamite and the Tiger Mask series because that's what got me in to New Japan to start with. But a more recent one would be uh, Okada and Omega from Dominion. What was that, 2017? Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the two out of three falls match? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be one of the ones like that got me into Japanese wrestling before I started training. Like I watched, you know, I got New Japan World for that because I heard all the, the buzz about those two guys. Nice. Yeah, it's like one of those matches where you're like, I didn't know people could wrestle on this level ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, it completely opened my mind. I was like, oh, this is way different than what I've used to seeing. <laughs> uh, before we uh, jump into the Dominion review, Josh and I got to do some housekeeping business. So uh, May is over. We're in June. That means we have to crown the May Wrestler of the Month and the May Match of the Month. And, man, we had a ton of candidates for both uh, these awards here, really, really uh, tough choices. I mean, literally right before we started recording, we had like the final uh, decision meeting on this. Uh, so, Josh, let the people know uh, our match of the month for May. Yeah, and I mean, this probably speaks to how good the Super Juniors tournament was this year. And while we were definitely critical of certain aspects of that tournament, there's no doubt that this was the best best of the super juniors tournament that they've had since before the pandemic, which is really saying something. And um, there's probably at least minimum of four matches that could have been match of the month. And uh, I'll list off the honorable mentions. Uh, uh, Desperado versus Francesco Akira, uh, Leo Rush versus Speedball Mike Bailey and Hiromu versus Speedball Mike Bailey were all top candidates. But ultimately me and Jeremy, we felt like we needed to go with the finals, the grand match, that's the one between uh, Master Watto and Teton to decide everything. And uh, just a, a blowaway match. We did our review last week. So if you didn't catch that, go ahead and uh, rewind a little bit. Give us another little download. You know, let's get some money yeah. and uh, listen to that. But what a fantastic match and what an incredible blow off uh, to the tournament. And, you know, easily probably a top seven, top eight finals in the history of this you know illustrious tournament so i mean and if you disagree and you had any of those matches that we mentioned you wouldn't be wrong because we're kind of splitting hairs here yeah i mean this one did get the uh, the big five stars from uncle dave so a uh, big shout out there for for wato and Titong and the five stars and yeah i think a lot of people uh really enjoyed this uh final because they weren't really expecting it and these guys went out here killed it like i said we reviewed it uh last week uh great stuff um, and then for our wrestler of the month, similar to match of the month, we had many uh, candidates. Uh, Speedball Mike Bailey was awesome throughout the tournament. Um, you know, several four star plus matches throughout the tournament. Leo Rush again, another great tournament. Hiromu Takahashi, a guy that was probably the most consistent performer throughout the tour. But we are going to go with the winner of the tournament, Master Wato. Wato Mania is running wild, brother. Um, you know, first time he's ever won Wrestler of the Month. Really, really big deal here. And yeah, I will admit to you, in most cases, if someone was just the most consistent performer across the board, we'll usually give it to them. That's probably Hiromu. And we didn't feel like he peaked, even though he had some great matches and he had the match with Sonata on top of it. It just kind of felt like Watto down the stretch just came on so strong and 
got that not like that nudge of improvement down the tail end of the tournament that like we kind of needed to go with Watto, which uh again, if, if you disagree and you had like Desperado or Leo Rush or Speedball, which like if we'd given it to Speedball, he would have been probably the first wrestler of the month not affiliated with the company. <laughs> <laughs> which like we almost did that. So uh incredible tournament, incredible month, May just uh you know fucking rocked and yeah uh congrats master watto someone uh someone tweet him let him know <laughs> your, your awards in the mail <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh let's jump into dominion 2023 from osaka joe hall this past sunday june 4th a little over a thousand people in attendance for this uh no clap crowd live cheering crowd for this great show We'll start from the, the opening match, work our way down to the main event, answer questions in between. Uh, so let's start from the beginning of the show. We had the IWGP United States Heavyweight title number one contendership match. Will Ospreay, the leader of the United Empire, defeats the murder hawk monster Lance Archer in eight minutes and one second. Josh, what do you think about this one? You said there's just over a thousand people there. It was Osaka Joe Hall. They had over I said 7, over seven thousand. Oh, did I mishear that, or did uh, maybe I missed? Or maybe it. I missed it, but over 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 seven thousand people. I was like, damn, there was only a thousand people. There. <laughs> that seems wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, you know this uh, this opener between Osprey and Lance Archer. There were a lot of concerns uh, going into this match, just like. You know, people kind of were down on Lance after last year's G1, and he's kind of been off TV and that sort of thing. And then uh, Will Ospreay was recently injured, and he looked good, but there was definitely some noticeable wear and tear during his uh, match with Tanahashi a week or so ago. So a lot of questions about how these two, even though they've had great matches in the past, how they might jive. And, bro, I fucking loved this match. Like, I think I'm way higher on it than what I'm seeing on like cage match and just kind of across the board. You know what this reminds me of, Jeremy? Hmm. Remember when Cody wrestled Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom? And like, I was like, I'm not going to oversell it. I'm not going to tell you this was a five star classic, but I just personally really liked this match. That's how I feel about this. Like, not going to sit here and like claim it was match of the night, but I'm such a mark for guys that just go, 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 go. Like, don't get me wrong. I like a good headlock takeover. I like a good wrist lock. But these guys just went fucking boss to the wall. And it was nothing but, like, big spot, big spot, big spot. And it was awesome. And, like, the crowd was loving it. I'm not sure what the disconnect is with the American audience. But, um, you know, I don't know. If, if you want to talk about hot openers, quote, unquote, you can't get much hotter than these guys just – going balls to the wall for less than eight minutes and hitting all their big shit and then just getting out of there. So um, we, we found out that uh, Lance Archer was also coming off an injury going into this match. So both guys were kind of recovering. I loved it. You know, like those two guys just hitting every big move and, you know, Archer doing dives off of the, the uh, uh, apron to the floor and Mm -hmm. then brawling onto the outside and everything. Like it just fucking rocked. Like, I don't know who wouldn't like this, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I get different taste than everybody else, but I fucking love this. I thought this match was awesome. What do you think, Tony? No, I agree with Josh. This match was great. It was one of the most fun matches I've seen to like open a show. They just went in there and did it. Uh, Archer jumped him, didn't he? 
Yeah, he jumped. Yeah, to start yeah. the match. Oh, and, and <laughs> yeah, he was just, hitting all the young boys too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they just, they didn't let up from there. Uh, Osprey hit like a cutter, like two or three minutes into the match. <laughs> yeah, you know he hit his big move like two minutes into the match. <laughs> yeah, the match was awesome. awesome. Yeah, I, I love the match too. You know, it was that go 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 pace. A lot of big moves. These guys are hitting each other really hard, and you know, these guys have a great history of matches uh, back to 2019 uh, New Japan Cup and the G1 from Dallas. Uh, Josh and I were there live for that matchup, and they teased the same spot at the beginning where um, in Dallas Archer choke slam Osprey through the table, but Osprey was able to uh, counter it this time. But yeah, these guys had a lot of great uh, back and forths. Uh, ending sequence, Osprey was just killing. Archer with the hidden blades uh, had to hit like four or five of them to uh, you know get Archer to stay down. Uh, I did pop for the near finish on the um, the blackout. The blackout, Cause yeah. Because usually Bro. nobody kicks out of that. So I was like, oh, Archer beat this man. <laughs> yeah, nobody kicks out of the blackout. I was like, but I, like I think I was like, there's no way they're gonna have Archer win. But it was pretty shocking to see like Osprey kick out of that move. Yeah. So yeah, Osprey uh, gets a big win here uh, post match. Calls out Kenny Omega, says it's going to be him versus Canada. No better way than to, you know, get revenge, get his title back, but to go into Canada and uh, beat Kenny Omega. One other thing I really liked about this was um, even though Will has been working this big man style for the last couple of years and really kind of reacclimating to a heavyweight style, because he was working Archer, he sort of did have to revert to being like, the aerial assassin again and obviously he wasn't doing all the high flying and flips he used to do but like they definitely worked it like junior man like you know david goliath sort of uh sort of deal and i just really enjoyed that and um this might even be like the best like the most i enjoyed an archer match in years because for whatever reason he just seems super motivated when he's with uh with will yeah backstage comments will was hilarious. He was like, "Where, where did this idea that Canadians are nice guys come from?" He's like, "You know, it's definitely a myth." Let's look at the uh, the evidence. He's like, um, "Chris Jericho, asshole." He was like, "Don Callis, asshole." <laughs> He's like Bret Hart. <laughs> He's like Bret Hart, always moaning and groaning. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I was sort of expecting. Kenny to you know maybe make a Titan Tron appearance or maybe even show up live and he didn't so but uh we're getting the match so it's pretty cool yeah definitely excited about that uh we had a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig as you guys talked about your take on the Osprey Omega series in the past specifically about the possibility of a trilogy do you still think that is the direction if so does Forbidden Door set up a Wembley finale or that need to be in Japan You know, I I don't want to get too analytical with it because there's a lot of booking scenarios and quite frankly, we don't know where they're going, but uh, I've played so many different options in my head as to where this might go, where it might end up, whether that's Wembley, whether that's next year's Wrestle Kingdom, but um, I mean, anything's on the table right now. They could go one for one and just walk away, or this could be setting up, you know, a trilogy and maybe you know, Osprey picks up the win here and then they have to do the rubber match. They also might do what FTR and Briscoes did last year where like the Briscoes lost the first two and then got the final big win over FTR in the end. And I'm kind of leaning that way, but I'm also uh, apprehensive. How do you justify a Wembley or a Wrestle Kingdom match 
if Osprey loses twice in a row. Like mm-hmm. there needs to be some sort of uh, stakes or some sort of uh, you know legitimate booking reason to justify that match. And I'm not sure how they get there, but I'm excited we're getting it again either way. What do you think, Tony? No, I agree um, that Osprey probably has to win the second one for there to be a third. Because this has been kind of drawn out, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been since January. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been longer than that, hasn't it? Haven't they, like, had issues for years when Kenny was still in uh, New Japan? Uh, I guess in kayfabe, yeah, yeah, they have, actually. Yeah, like, you know, this is a really long with, you know, maybe they haven't had that many matches. I think they've only wrestled that one time, right? They wrestled in uh, PWG, was that like 2015 years yeah. years ago? Like yeah, before, before really Paul was even in the company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's time for Osprey to, to beat him if, if they're going to do three. But yeah, I don't really know. Uh, they got what? Forbidden Door is the next one, right? Yeah. Right. So, so Forbidden Door, June 25th. Um, seems like that'll be where the second match will happen. And then, yeah, we got I mean, one. you know, they could do a no finish. That's I didn't think of that, but that's true. Yeah, they, they, could, they could do a draw. They could do a double DQ count, double count out. All right, they're giant Baba. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that makes me nervous, though, and I, I think might potentially be on their minds, is like think about Will the last, and not just Will Kenny too. The last couple of years, both guys have been plagued and riddled Injury. with a lot of injuries, and you know how hard they're going to be going on that night in June, especially since they've. Uh, we'll get to it, but like spoiler alert, Danielson and Okada are also going to be uh, against each other that night. And I'm sure all four guys are going to be trying to outdo one another. Oh yeah. Like, do they have enough to get to another match between them? Plus Will's got the G one in front of him on top of all that. It's tough. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a, a tough schedule. Uh, I mean, I agree. I do think Will needs to, he needs to win or it needs to be a no finish to set up the, the third big one. Uh, selfishly, I don't want the third one in Wembley because I'll be there. <laughs> uh, but I could definitely see them maybe wanting to wait until uh, Tokyo Dome and have Will kind of get that big win in Japan, especially, you know, with the rumors of Will's contract being up uh, February of 24. It would be good to kind of get him that big win and maybe help get him locked down to a new contract. Well, they don't have to rush it. This can this can go on for a long time, right? Yeah. You know. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I don't have the patience for for a long drawn out thing. Let's get it now. <laughs> Let's do it in June and then do it in July. Yeah. Let's yeah. just get it over with. Uh, What's wrong with that? <laughs> Uh, well, let's move on to uh, the next matchup here. We had the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo Takagi, Tetsuya Naito, and Teton defeating the Just Five Guys team of Doki, Taichi, Taka, Michinoku, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Do you guys think that, like, during, like, before the matches start, that Teton is. Uh, evangelizing all of LIJ because this man loves Jesus. He's got it all over his jacket. And I just got the feeling that he's trying to probably save the soul of like Hiromu Takahashi. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's possible. <laughs> Speaking of that, Tony got a, a Christian uh, wrestling company shut down. So, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't do it single handedly. <laughs> 
I wasn't the only one in that match. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, um, this kind of was nice. It was like a a setup for the, you know, ongoing feud that's been transpiring between LIJ and Just Five Guys and also quasi preview for the main event for later in the evening between um, Sonata and uh, Suji. So uh, this was kind of cool. And I, I sort of feel like it was the kind of go home match for Teton, who's definitely like slated to go back to Mexico. And so he got the big win here and, you know, got his like final bows and adulation and kind of just soaking it up from the crowd. And I mean, probably deservedly so considering he had outside of like Eddie Guerrero and Dr. Wagner Jr. I would say the greatest run in in a best of super juniors for any luchador or mexican born wrestler you know in the whole history of the tournament so uh yeah they gave him the big win the big uh go home he got to do the bow and and everything like that so nice tony any thoughts on that one i mean i i love the match i thought you know it's not gonna steal the show it's kind of just like a regular multi-man and i didn't know any of the just five guys versus lij i don't you know i haven't been keeping up with any of that and I'm probably biased because I'm a mark for like over half of these guys. You know, we had <laughs> Teton, Shingo, Taka, Kanemaru, and Naito were all in the same match. So I loved it. Nice. Yeah, definitely a fun, you know, LIJ multi-mans. You can't go wrong when you have those guys in any kind of, you know, eight-man or ten-man tag. And, yeah, a lot of great interactions here uh, came down to the end with Teton getting the uh, the big win over Taka. And like you mentioned, Josh, definitely kind of like the kind of final kind of bow for Teton for this period of time is going to go back to CMLL, get ready for some big uh, matches and tours down in Mexico, and I'm sure we'll probably see him maybe at the All-Star Junior Festival in August in uh, Philadelphia. And Fantastica Mania. That's right, they're doing a Fantastica Mania in Mexico in June, on June 30th with uh, New Japan and CMLL. So, And I don't know why, but I'm much more excited for like a Fantastica Mania crossover into mexico than i am for any of the like domestic crossovers with like noah or you know dragon gate or you know all japan like i don't know why like, <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything more than those ones do but like i guess i just like that lucha <laughs> well our uh, good friend rocky romero will be defending his uh nwa historic welterweight title on the show so against- i don't think you're allowed to call it the nwa world historic title anymore what what's the uh, the official name for it? Isn't that what it's called, Josh? Did what did you say? You said the NWA World Historic. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think that is what it. I don't know. They <laughs> change it sometimes. Like it's it's weird. Yeah. Regardless, he will be defending. Don't, don't mind me. I don't watch Friday Night Arena Mexico. <laughs> he, he will be defending that title. Um, you against, should against uh, Volador. <laughs> Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line. The challengers, Catch 2-2, Francesco Akira, and TJP defeated the champions, the intergalactic jet setters of Kevin Knight and Kushida, 10 minutes and 38 seconds. You know, um, these guys had a match when Catch 2-2 were the champions leading into Best of the Super Juniors. And we did a preview and we pretty much both came to the conclusion that we thought catch two, two was going to retain their titles. And we gave all the logical reasons for why that should be the case. Obviously they dropped the belts to interla- intergalactic jet setters 
And now, just a few days out from that tournament, Catch-22 have regained those titles. And now it's sort of like, oh, like all the reasons we thought they would retain the first time were valid. They just delayed it a month until the conclusion of Super Juniors. And now they're champions again. Um, You know, kind of going back and giving even a little bit more um, history on this. We sort of had a lot of assumptions about how the intergalactic jet setters were going to perform during the best of the super juniors, just kind of based on history, based on how IWGP tag team champions are sort of booked in those tournaments. And they kind of just turned the booking on their heads entirely. Like uh, Kevin Knight did a lot better in the tournament than we thought he would, considering the fact that he was the junior member of the team and just a recent graduate from the dojo system. And then on the flip side, you had Kushida who did abysmal from a kayfabe standpoint, and we did not see that coming whatsoever. We were really like questioning going into this match last week. What does all this mean? Like, are, mm-hmm. are we going to see a redemptive story where it's like, you know, the jet setters are better together than they are apart, or w- was what we saw in the in the tournament, you know, a testament of things to come? And I think that's exactly what we got here. The match was really good. Everybody was great, but. I kind of felt like we saw a quasi squash match where catch two, two sort of just dominated the intergalactic jet setters. And even though they had their hope spots, they never really came back. They just kind of got dominated (laughs) in a way that I was not expecting. And then they got beat definitively. And it's really great for catch two, two because they're one of the best tag teams going today. But you have to wonder like, what does this mean for, Kevin Knight and Kushida going, going forward. Like I know they're both going back to America, but I don't know what they're trying to tell us. Uh, maybe it's just like, yeah, like they're not at the level anymore. I don't know. What do you think, Tony? Uh, I was impressed with TJP and uh, probably won't butcher his name. Francisca. Francesco Akira. Francesco. I put his two names together. <laughs> uh, I had never seen them tag together. They were great. And mm-hmm. I had never seen Kevin Knight before either. That guy's super athletic. Yeah. But yeah, Josh, they never really seemed like they got going with Knight and Kushida. Every time they'd get rolling, something would happen and they'd get knocked right back off. Yeah, so it's almost like the the first, you know, the previous title match where Jet Setters won was almost like a fluke. Like I think uh Catch Two Two underestimated them and you know, they kind of pulled the upset there, but now these guys are more locked in, more motivated, more focused, and yeah, they were just crisp. Like all their double team moves were great. They were cutting off uh, Knight and Gashida pretty much at every stop there. Like you mentioned, there was a few hope spots there, but uh, for the most part, it was all uh, catch two two. They hit their uh, leaning tower uh, cutter, and then the their finisher, the the catch two two double knees, and retained the titles. And then uh, post match, we had a big angle here. So um, Akira and TJP, they were. Seconded by uh, the driller Dan Maloney, and all of them were in the ring together celebrating. And then out comes uh, 100 proof Clark Connors from the Bullet Club, and we're like, "Oh, this you know makes sense. Clark is challenging, but who's his partner going to be? Because uh, Ishimori is injured. I don't know where Dan Maloney uh, jumps Clark, or he he jumps uh, Akira and TJP, and it's revealed that uh, Maloney is now a member of Bullet Club, and Maloney and Clark Connors will be teaming to challenge." Catch two two, the most infamous turn of his teammates <laughs> in the history of wrestling <laughs> since the time Seth Rollins hit Roman Reigns in the back with that steel chair on Monday Night Raw. 
<laughs> this was on that level. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, um, you know, last week I was really wondering and kind of like, I kind of sounded stupid now that I think about it, but I was like, yeah, like, what's the deal? Like Dan Maloney's so involved in this story, but like, he's not winning the titles, but like, he didn't feel like their muscle the week before. Like, why is he interjecting himself? And I was like, maybe they're going to make him like the quote unquote junior ace of United Empire. Like yeah. wrong, wrong. I was wrong, <laughs> like completely wrong. They got us, and uh, it's good when they get us because it's not fun to always be right about everything the company is doing. Uh, we were really bought in when Dan Maloney and Clark Connors went to that no con or to that countout finish at the end of Super Juniors, and we we're like, "Damn, when these guys lock it up again, they got <laughs> it's gonna be great. They got real, they got real heat." You know, nope, that's not what's happening. Like. But you know what's funny? I did say that if those two dudes got together, and I was just joking, I was like, they're going to be Junior Hanson and Brody. Well, <laughs> they might be Junior Hanson and Brody because those are some fucking yoked dudes for being juniors. Like, um, yeah, I'm excited, and like this is just another piece of this evolving Bullet Club that uh, David Finley and you know Gato and the rest of the the booking committee are laying out for us. We've been getting questions for years. How would you save the Bullet Club? What are you going to do to save the Bullet Club? And we're like, fuck, I don't know. Just end it. Well, <laughs> I kind of like what they're doing now. They've got a bunch of like young stud killers in this thing, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, and you know, if, uh, Maloney, we're, we were joking you know, throughout his tournament. He's like, throwing up the crowns up like, the whole time. Like, why <laughs> does he keep throwing up the crowns up like, over and over and over again? But I think it was definitely to oversell the fact that you he wanted people to think, you know, he's United Empire for life to really help this bull club turn be effective, which I think it definitely was. Um, and his post-match comments were great. You know, they go back there and he's like, you know, after my brawl with Clark, I wanted a beer to, you know, drown my sorrows and TJP's, you know, yapping at me not to drink, not to smoke, you know, giving me, a, giving me a lecture. And then I go to Akira and he's like, do you want some bubble tea? He's like, bubble tea. I want a beer. <laughs> He's like, Clark was there, we drank beers together, and I learned that there are men in New Japan, and there are boys. We're the men. Catch 2-2, two, two, they're the boys. <laughs> nice. I saw that they jumped them uh, when they're at the uh, celebration table, you know, like, when, usually when you win a title, they sit you down in front of the table and do the whole press conference deal, and I heard they uh, they jumped them and yeah, they, flipped they, it over the table and yeah, shit. Yeah, they jumped them, threw them a table, gave like, the table's for you, champs, the table's for you, and they, like, threw them <laughs> on the table. <laughs> Strong style table. <laughs> Uh, we do have some uh, questions here from this matchup. Uh, first from Reddit user Jake8Jake. He says, I'm still so unsure of why Kushida lost all but two matches in Best of Super Juniors. I had thought Dominion might expand upon his story, but other than Kevin Kelly mentioning it briefly, they just lost the tag titles, and that was that. I'm even more baffled by his Best of Super Junior. Any insights I may have missed? You know, last week I went on a really long rambling tangent about how this story might play out. And I gave probably four or five different possibilities. And I really couldn't reiterate more than what I said last week. Right now, the way I see it, they've given us a little, some breadcrumbs. They've given us some things to think about, and maybe they will pick up on that story as they continue to use Kushida. So uh, very, it's not very often new Japan just leaves a, even if it's a minor story, they don't usually just leave it, waving in the wind you know that does happen from time to time but 
not often. So I think there's definitely something happening with Kushida. It might not be what everybody wants. You know, I think a lot of people are hoping like this is leading to a ultimate heel turn and now he's going to be a badass like Sonata. I don't think that's it. I think they're telling you this man's cooked. He's old. <laughs> he's got to figure some shit out. <laughs> Man went to the Fed, got worse. <laughs> Yeah, you, go, you, you, you go work for, for, for H for a while, you know, you get worse, you know. Man was out there doing the Largo loop, thinking life was sweet. He forgot, <laughs> he forgot his fighting spirit because he had these agents in his ear telling him what to do, when to do it. And, you know, he lost his fighting spirit. That's all there is to it. Uh, let's see. Next question here. Hawaiian Punch BV says Clark Connors and Dan Maloney became a tag team after beating the crap out of each other. Did you guys become friends after brawling in a bar one day and decide to start Kiss the week after? Me and Jeremy have never. We never had a fight. No, never. Of any of any kind. Not not verbal, not physical. But I've I've had I've had some some one sided ass kickings from Tony. <laughs> 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 it's all for your training, Josh. <laughs> Is that how you became you know, friends? Tony just chopped you a lot. Tony's the the person that made me learn very quickly. I don't like to get chopped very much. <laughs> Bro, Josh always went to the bathroom when it was time to work on chops. <laughs> no, that's not true. I stuck around. I took him, but you know, if I, I might have shed a tear or you know here and there, but uh, yeah, no, I don't like to, uh, getting chopped. Sucks. <laughs> Uh, the last question here uh, from the Dark Soldier says Maloney turns on Yada Empire to join Bull Club. Most shocking heel turn since Hogan in '96. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to make a joke when you said Clark Connors was coming down, and you weren't sure why. I was going to be like, "Whose side is he really on?" <laughs> no, but whose side is he? Or what? Did, what? Did, what the fuck did Bobby Heenan say? Yeah, I think he's like, "Whose side is he on?" <laughs> they're like, "Would you stop?" <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? Whose side is he on? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, moving on to the next match, we had the NJPW World Television title match. The champion, Zack Sabre Jr. retains, defeating Jeff Cobb in eight minutes and 46 seconds. One of the things that makes New Japan so great, especially when it comes to them nailing big match or big shows like Dominion, is the variety that's provided and you look at the card we're five no four matches in and i mean you start off you get this go 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 all action sprint to open it then you have an eight-man tag you know road to style match then you get the junior um high flying you know tag team match and then you get this your technical classical style wrestling between two guys that have already gone out there the month prior and this was the return match and I loved this match. I thought Zach and Jeff worked so well together. Um, you know, Jeff is a guy, his whole career, you know, people have called him Mr. Athletic, and they always talk about all these different things he brings to the table, whether it's his athleticism, high flying, or his power. But the thing that's really coming to light in this series with uh, Zach Sabre Jr. is like how great of a technical wrestler he can be when he needs to be, you know, de- delve into that aspect of his game. And, it, you know, it might actually be the thing that's stopping him from winning these matches because I think he's playing a little bit too much of Zach's game. Mm. And that kind of probably was the downfall. 
the last match, they went the 15 minute time limit. So I was sort of expecting this to go a little longer, uh, but down the stretch, Jeff got the upper hand. He really was starting to get the best of Zach and it looked like he was getting ready to do a tour of the islands and Zach Sabre Jr. Figured out another wacky, crazy counter roll up to get out of that. And this time he was able to keep the big man down for the one, two, three. Um, I was expecting a title change here, to be honest, on a big show like this after Mm -hmm. the tease from the month prior, but Zach continues to be the best reigning like champion on the undercards in anywhere in the world. Don't let the fucking liars tell you that Orange Cassidy has the best story (laughs) and the best title run going in wrestling. That's not true. It does not hold a candle to what to the output that Zack Sabre Jr. is putting in month after month, week after week across multiple companies. This guy rules. This match was awesome. I agree that Crucifix was really slick for the finish. That was awesome. But I really liked how the, uh, you know, when Cobb was up, the pace was picking up and going faster and faster. And when Sabre got up with all these crazy holds that he always comes up with, he would slow it down, bring it down, bring him down to the mat. So, I, I mean, again, I thought this match ruled. I didn't know that they all they all have 15-minute time limits yeah, for so Sabre's yeah, matches. All the, the world TV title matches are all 15-minute time limits. Yeah, see, so that was new to me. So I didn't know what if Sabre was going to like try to hold on to just get the time limit draw and hold the title. I, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, definitely a great matchup. Um, you know, kind of a great follow-up from the, the previous match last month where they went to the 50-minute draw. And so yeah, I definitely thought with that, they would lead to Okay, so they drew the month before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, with that, yeah, I was definitely thinking maybe, yeah, we would get a, finally a title change. Was like Josh mentioned, Zach, this is what, his 10th defense of a title um, since winning it in January at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and so he's just been on an absolute tear, but... Uh, we should probably have realized that uh, with the story that's going on in Ring of Honor, that he wasn't going to drop the belt. They're doing this kind of TV tile storyline with Zach and the ROH TV champ Samoa Joe, and they've been teaming on Ring of Honor TV and kind of quasi feuding a bit. So, and they're kind of continuing that story, I think, on ROH TV this week. So, we might end up seeing Saber versus Joe at uh, Forbidden Door. How would I? How would I realize that, Jeremy? Because you know you're supposed to stay tuned to what's going on. Okay, I'm not going to watch <laughs> fucking Ring of Honor on, on Honor Club. This is not happening. So <laughs> whatever whatever's going on on ROH, like, you know, it, it, I'll cherry pick in from time to time. But stories, I don't know what stories are going on over there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the... the I'm supposed to realize. Come on. <laughs> the, uh, that tour of the islands counter into uh, the, the crucifix pin was just, just beautiful. Like the momentum swing and then just... The drop into it. Everything about that was great. So a uh, big win there for Zach. And post-match, he goes to Kevin Kelly. And it's like, that boy's just too strong. He's too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I had to use mental techers to beat him. Uh, so uh, good stuff there. Uh, that takes us to the next matchup. We had the IWGP Tag Team Titles and NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team Titles on the line. Titles were vacant due to Aussie Open vacating both titles due to Mark Davis's uh, torn meniscus. So we had an uh, uh, opportunity for new champs here, and the team of Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi, they defeated Evil and Yujiro Takahashi from the House of Torture and Aaron Hanare and Great Okan from the United Empire. I think, and I could be wrong here, so forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I think Marty Asami refed this match. I, I think so, yeah. 
okay, I know in the early days of the show, we used to rag on the referees for how incompetent they are in New Japan. And that was like a running bit. It kind of got tired. But this was egregiously bad refereeing. All six of them dudes was in the ring for so fucking <laughs> long in this match. I mean, they should have just done a Texas tornado at the, at the rate that this thing was. Like, well, I agree with that. That was yeah. this was like a whole brawl. There was yeah, there was <laughs> such a long stretch where I'm like, are you going to do anything? Like, well, there was one part where like I think it was like Hanari and Okan. Like, Hanari went for a pin, and then Okan went for the pin. I'm like. How, how can that happen? How, how they both can't be the legal man. <laughs> All right, I don't mean to sound like Jr., but you know, <laughs> you know, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, aside from that one little nitpick, this could have been a lot worse than it ended up being. I thought this was a pretty enjoyable tag team match. Um, all all six guys are very t- well, aside from Yujiro. <laughs> All five guys were very talented <laughs> in that ring. And um, I think that Jeremy was sort of thinking last week that we were going to get the United Empire team winning and sort of picking up where teammates Aussie Open left off. And I was sort of thinking we, we can't have too many nice things. They're going to make us suffer and put House of Torture in, in, in the driver's seat. But uh, we should have realized that when things fall apart, you just go with old faith, faithful, and they put the title on Bishamon. They never, most never count out Bishamon. <laughs> yeah, you can't count out Bishamon. So uh, the match was really fun. Um, not like a classic. I wouldn't say like you got to go out of your way to watch it or anything like that. But in terms of just like fast-paced, high-octane, multi-man matches, this could have been a lot worse. It's pretty good. Um, one thing I loved was Bishamon hit this awesome like – reverse uh what do you call that like what's the move that the that the steiner brothers used to use where they it was like a doomsday device but with the uh bulldogs the steiner Steiner, the steiner bulldog yeah whatever that is they did like a a reverse version of that and i thought that that was a new finisher i was like oh shit they won (laughs) (laughs) but they still like did the shoto before they like actually like closed it but i was like damn they they unleashed a super finisher like this is awesome (laughs) But uh, the match was cool, yeah, and uh, Bishamon are champions, so I guess, uh, you know, the, the tag team division is stable once again. Yeah, and I'm, Tony, I'm definitely curious to hear your thoughts about this match, because there's a lot of, like, shenanigans that we have to deal with with the House of Torture, of ref bombs, people running in, garrote wires, wrenches, interference. I mean, <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on for a lot of it. <laughs> you want me to be honest? Like, I know who most of the guys were, but I was like, wait, which one is with whose partner who's the legal guy it was fun but it wasn't like uh you know a great wrestling match but i enjoyed it and it's very different than everything else on the show so like what josh was saying with uh variety on the show it helped with that because it was just a bunch of dudes hitting moves and fighting each other <laughs> yeah it's a clusterfuck yeah uh, essentially it's just a big mess yeah you know, and if you're going to have a mess, just keep piling it on. Just have run-ins, have weapons, have garbage. Uh, um, you had Yo question. running out there with the with the skateboard. Oh yeah, like why did Yo come out with a skateboard? Well, he saw the uh, you know the eight the of Chris Statlander thing. Yeah, the Fight Forever uh, footage of Chris Statlander <laughs> using a skateboard on Dar- and on Darby in the game. I think I think Yo's been listening to this podcast and he's like, he's right. These guys are right. I need to do something to get over. 
this this shit worked for Zoe Stark or not? No, who's the chick? Who's the chick that did that in NXT? Oh, uh, um, Cora Jade. Jade, right? It yeah. worked for Cora Jade. It worked for Darby Allen. It worked for the dynamic dudes in the nineties. I'm gonna be a skater. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, I hope that's really the reason. <laughs> Rapungi Pro Skater 2. <laughs> oh, that would be sick. Um, one question, I, and I'm not even, and I'm, I'm being totally dead ass serious about this when I ask it. Did they have the rules where just two guys from a tag team were legal and the other team had to sit out? Or did they do it where all three guys from a team were There's legal? There's three guys that were legal. They and did. Two they did it from the same team. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't. I, I don't. That's because that's what it. took me off at first. It's like, wait, these guys are just two on one to this one dude, and the other team's just outside. Well, because like in in like Western wrestling, usually it's like only two one. guys are legal, and yeah. the other team has to get tagged in magically somehow. But I think yeah. they had all three teams have one legal man. The rule were there are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it didn't seem like the rules were strictly enforced, Josh. Everybody was legal. <laughs> Barely legal. Uh had a few questions on this one. Uh less commission. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess we should talk about the, the post match angle first. So um after the match, Labishamon, they uh win the belts and then the lights go off on the screen. We see Bullet Club War Dogs and out comes Gabriel Kidd. And the android Alex Coglin in Bullet Club shirts. They run into the ring. They beat up Goto and Yoshihashi and made their intentions clear that they'll be challenging for the IWGP Tag Team Championship. So two more members to uh, Bullet Club here. And we're seeing Dave Finley's vision for Bullet Club come to life. Hey, man. I mean, you know, um, we have been complaining for years now that there was a an embarrassment of riches right there in the LA dojo all these guys who've been working their asses off to get themselves into the kind of shape and the you know to be as good of wrestlers as they as they have been and they've gone on some mini excursions they've worked a couple of dates but it's like bro it's been like 3 years what are you going to do with these guys and we were starting to get worried or at least I was that they didn't have a spot for them and they didn't know what to do with them. And there had been jokes on this podcast and others where we're like, you could just throw a bull club shirt on them. (laughs) And people are like, Oh, but that is what they exactly did. And I guess like on the one hand, it is kind of quote unquote lazy, but it's better than not using them whatsoever. And like literally in the, in the span of one evening, the bull club went from looking like a joke to looking like a bunch of fucking studs. The only, the only problem I do have I don't know why Kevin Knight wasn't considered for the Bullet Club. Man, you, um, you stole Rich's uh, question. <laughs> oh, he already he asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> Disregard. I'm, I'm in. Uh, I don't wait. I'm looking at the thing. I don't see that question. That's down on, on Finley's match. Oh, well, you should have included it here. That's your fault. <laughs> no, but like. Uh, all jokes aside, it is pretty awesome. I mean, Coglin and Gabe Kidd, in my opinion, are probably the most physically imposing guys from the LA Dojo. So the idea of them like teaming up, that sounds sick. Like, and both those guys are like killers. So um I don't see any reason that they couldn't just like beat Bishamon right away. <laughs> 
Yeah, we did see those guys team up uh, in the World Tag League uh, this past December, but obviously they were kind of still in that young line phase, and obviously they ate a lot of losses there. But, yeah, I mean, like you're saying, kind of uh, a lazy booking, throwing the Bull Club shirts on them. But, again, Bull Club's always a top faction. This means they're going to be in the mix. Clearly, as we see, we'll see in the next matchup, there's clear direction and storyline intentions for all these guys. Uh, I think that leads into this uh, question from Les Commission 7252. It says, a lot of fans might not get it, but it makes sense that half of the LA Dojo are now in Bullet Club from the likes of Connors, Kidd, and Coughlin. Like you guys have been saying for the past couple of months, these guys have either been booked poorly or been misused. Now Bullet Club has a strong tag division on their side with the junior side being Connors and Maloney and the heavyweight side being Kidd and Coughlin. Do you guys think they will now be booked as strong as ever? It's really hard to say. Uh, New Japan is extremely um, unpredictable now that they're sort of in this rebuilding phase that they're going through this year. So I really don't know. Um, but they're giving them an opportunity to prove themselves, to make make sure that it's worth the company's while to keep paying for them to come overseas and work for them. So uh, they need to, you know, as Vince McMahon likes to say, grab the brass ring. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, a, a lot of us were obviously uh, disappointed with Aussie Open signing with AEW, but, you know, that's two foreigner spots uh, gone, and um, you got to think that kind of helped make room to, to bring in more of their own foreigner talent from the LA Dojo, making room for uh, Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin. So, um, Aussie who? <laughs> uh, but so yeah I, I think they're going to get pushed pretty strong um, they're, they're also there's heavy involvement with them now they have a title match coming up and like I said Bull Club has been a fixture since um, its inception and so yeah I think it's a great uh, future sites for Coughlin and Kid and uh, Dan Maloney then uh, Ginger Ninja 666 says one of the matches that I surprisingly really liked on this show was the three way tag title match and honestly one of the reasons I liked it so much was because of the House of Torture. The crowd, <laughs> the crowd was so into them being annihilated that it made the others look like world beaters. Do you think the House of Torture stick is worth it sometimes to get these kind of reactions, or do you think it's not worth it because of all the flat finishes you have to suffer through in order to give the group any kind of credibility? Personally, I'm kind of in the middle. I don't mind having matches now and then that are driven by the crowd's desire to see one side lose at the post of putting the putting on the best match possible? That's a tough question to answer, honestly, and I don't want to delve into the whole psychology and booking patterns of House of Torture because they're not really my favorite team. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I've always admitted from time to time, in a vacuum, their matches do work. It's just you have to live through so much bullshit to have those few moments of enjoyment it's like, is the juice worth the squeeze? I'm not sure. Yeah, and Tony, from a psychology standpoint, what do you think about that? Like, kind of having some heels that are always constantly cheating to get the heat, but, like, they, you always kind of get a flat finish from them. It's like Nova, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Captain. <laughs> so, House of Torture was the team that was cheating and having all the run-ins and everything, right? Yeah. Correct, and, and they do this constant every match like every single match it's like there's ref a bump, ref bump low blow low blow someone getting hit with a wrench 
someone getting hit into exposed turnbuckles. Sometimes they turn the lights out. They choke with the the wire. They pull the ref out. I mean, we're talking literally every everything, all the Gaga you could ever imagine. Every match, <laughs> every single match, and like, do it's they like, just do it all every match, or is yeah, it like, pretty pretty much, pretty much. much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> that might like, be a little much, but you know. <laughs> You got to have strong heels that just and strong by like they're strong in the being a heel, not necessarily that doesn't work for me, brother. But like they're well, strong as a heel tag team. They, they keep them strong to a degree. Like they're not booked at the top, but they're booked just strong enough so that once they are in a situation like this where you're like, fuck, I really don't want them to win, then they make them lose and then you're happy about it. But you have to live through like, them winning all the rest of their matches. <laughs> I mean, I only had to watch them once. This is my first time seeing them. <laughs> and I, I didn't really know what was happening. So I could imagine this could get old if I had to see it all the time. Hey, maybe that's the answer. Maybe you guys should just stop watching House of Torture matches. Cherry pick. <laughs> Tony's going to start using our wrenches in his match now. Uh, <laughs> we use tasers and belts. <laughs> Our last match. That's why you. That's why that that company got shut down. <laughs> <laughs> using using real heat, heat of a taser. <laughs> hey, Scott Steiner did it. <laughs> uh, so uh, after didn't the, the taser kill Bill Goldberg forever? The streak, yeah, Scott Hall, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they had the big nightstick one. Yeah, the long, yeah, zapped him going up the ladder. I thought he was going to kick out, to be honest with you. <laughs> he should have. Really, like, it really pissed me off he didn't kick out. Just like, no seller. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, after this match, we had the announcement of the participants in the G1 Climax 33. 32 participants this year. Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, Will Ospreay, Hiroshi Tanahashi, David Finley, Shota Umino, Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Hikaleo, Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, Toro Yana, Yano, Kenta, Zack Sabre Jr., Taichi, Eddie Kingston from AEW, El Fantasmo, Ren Narita, Evil, Chase Owens, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, Aaron Hanare, Gabriel Kidd, Alex Coughlin, Shane Hayes, Mad Mikey Nichols, Yota Suji, and Kaito Kiyomiya from Pro Wrestling Noah. Uh, we had a ton of questions here. Let's jump into those. I think that can kind of lead our discussion on these uh, participants. Uh, first, from Cookie Sheet Jones at Yambag City on Twitter: Are there too many boys in the G One this year? Never enough boys. My <laughs> only problem is when they bring in the girls. <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, I'm I'm excited. How many do they normally have? Traditionally, for the past, like you know, like better it's like portion, it's been like twenty. Twenty, right? Yeah. So traditionally, like two, two ten men blocks. Yeah, two blocks yeah. of ten. Last year they did twenty eight. You had we had four blocks of seven. It feels okay. like we're probably, and we don't know this, but it seems like we're probably getting four eight man blocks this year. Yeah, that makes the most sense math wise here in, in the schedule. Unless they want to give us eight four man four man blocks. <laughs> <laughs> that might be different. Um. 
Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, bigger field, got a lot more guys included here. Uh, you know, you got the TMDK team of uh, Hayes and Nichols. Got the LA Dojo boys, Kid and Coughlin are in. Uh, Kaito Kiyomiya from NOAA, first time uh, uh, outsider promotion guys in since like 2016 uh, when uh, Nakajima was in the G1 uh, that year. Uh, you got Eddie Kingston from AEW. Um, Tangaloa is back from injury. Uh, so a, a lot of uh, great names in this tournament. Yeah. We're, we're big fans of Tangaloa. He, uh, he the dojo. came to the dojo. He said Tony could work. <laughs> that was uh, a direct quote, I recall. <laughs> <laughs> did he, did Thanks, he get, Josh. Did he give Tony a G.O.D. shirt? No. No. <laughs> he did not. Uh, next question here from Barry Walsh. He says, Kiyomiya, do you think it means Okada might win? The N1 this year only to slap off the trophy and venue and create more heat than the sun. Guys, like, I don't know. And I really <laughs> don't care. You know, that's Noah's shit. Like, I'm not going to watch the, the N1 victory. Come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He also said, uh, uh, Fantasyland, I know, but I pull, I do love Kiyomiya to win the, uh, I'm pulling for Kiyomiya to win the G1 and Okada to win the N1 instead of a big dome match. Oh, hell no. <laughs> 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 you know what? Um, I'm, I am just joking, but like, if they had Kiyomiya win the G1 climax, that would be just that would be so fitting for how weird 2023's New Japan booking has been. Like, because that's not so, I would like if I if you gave me a bet and said, you know, if you gave me big odds for him to not win, I would bet everything. I bet like my whole entire life savings <laughs> that he's not going to win the G1. So. Yeah, I, I find that highly unlikely, but you never know. I mean, crazy things are happening. I do think they'll end up in the same block, and I do think we'll see Kiyomiya beat Okada to get his revenge. And maybe that will shut up the babies who've been complaining about, I don't get it. What does this do for Kiyomiya? <laughs> New Japan's mean. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just add Zach next time, Josh? <laughs> I wasn't calling out Zach directly. Zach is one of I, many. I'm just joking. I'm just messing with Zach. I, I know Zach's, uh, you know, he's a big Noah guy. And wants- I don't know if Zach's listening, but Zach, if you fit that mold, you know, that's on you, bro. I can't help that. <laughs> uh, Def Triangle 720 says, should New Japan just have cut out some of the people and made the G1 around 24? Uh, I mean, they cut out, like, they cut out Yujiro. Yes, and Fale. We're good. They cut out Yujiro and Fale. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> We've been asking for them to cut these men. They cut them. I'm happy. <laughs> um, I think more t- more participants is better. You get more matchups. And if it was four sevens last year, and it's four, it's only one more match. Yeah, so uh, each guy will have eight matches this year versus or. Seven matches. Seven. Last year, each guy had six matches. But last year's, there yeah, were some. So not, there were some. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, so one more match out of every guy is not like a huge addition to the workload. Right. Yeah. That definitely. Yeah. Uh, it uh, kind of frees up their schedule a little bit. It makes it a little bit lighter compared to uh, the ten man block when each guy had uh, nine matches. The the issue last year was that there was some when they had the four blocks they wound up with some really weird scheduling. We didn't wind up with as many high performing G one classic nights as we're used to from that tournament. 
Um, it was kind of an adjustment period, but I feel like with the eight man block scenario, that creates a little bit more variability. Plus there's a lot more new blood and freshness to this tournament that I'm, I'm more optimistic about this year's tournament than I was last year. Yeah. Cause you had like the random scheduling where you had like some nights there'd be like four block matches and some nights it'd be five block matches, like two B block matches or, well, or two. I, I talked, I looked at the schedule and I had a brief discussion uh, with Chris Amsa about this and it, it seems like we're probably getting something like that again, but we don't know exactly what that looks like just yet because there's a lot of variables. He was trying to explain it to me and like the amount of scenarios he gave me, I was like, uh, okay, like, <laughs> too, too much information. But what I do know is it, it, we're probably going to be getting a lot of nights where it's nothing but tournament matches amongst the blocks, which is probably good. Yeah. Uh, Less Commission 7252 says, out of the 32 participants, who are you most more interested in seeing, no matter who's in their block? Oh, well, I mean, you know, uh, that's a stupid question. It's always going to be Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, Ishii yes. or, uh, or Shingo. <laughs> yeah, it's either going to be Will Ospreay, Shingo, or Ishii. I don't care who's in their block. I just want to see him beat them. <laughs> Uh, Diva Lover 4 says, should we have a year where the G1 is absolutely stacked with top-tier talent from multiple companies? No. Fuck the other companies. <laughs> Shinny Isn't their tournament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there's too much uh, politics involved when you start getting uh, multiple uh, promotions involved, especially with this being yeah, New Japan's big annual tournament. Uh, unless they want to send the top talent here so they can lay down and take these L's, then okay. Uh, Okay, okay, 890 says At what point in the G1 announcement Did you realize it was going to be bigger than usual Tourney I wasn't paying attention until afterwards When it was all done, I was like, damn, this seemed like a lot And then and then all of a sudden, like Kevin Coe's like, whoa, 32 men And I was like, really? (laughs) Well, uh, I noticed Because on the graphic, it's in Japanese It said, like, 2732 I was like, alright, it's going to be 32 men I just thought they were saying it was the G132. I wasn't paying attention. It's G133. Exactly. <laughs> Not paying attention. Uh, also asked, do you think Kaito will get his revenge in the G1? Could he even be a potential block winner like Bailey was? I don't know how strongly I feel he should be a block winner or like a finalist, but uh, that might that might help him quite a bit considering the quote-unquote damage that's been done, not just by New Japan, but by his own company and Muto and all that shit. So this is a, a great opportunity. If they're looking at a way to rehab him and, and all that, this might be a good way to do that. Yeah, you get him in that Final Four scenario. He could, he could lose there, and I think that, that, that elevates him, getting him into that Final Four scenario. You could even have him like beat Okada to get into the Final Four. Um, I think that would be some uh, good storytelling and momentum there for him. And I mean, to a certain extent, that's what Teton was as well. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Wombat says, I'm just now trying to catch back up with current NJPW. Curious your opinion as to why no Lawler or Rosser in the G1. Couldn't cut it. <laughs> Couldn't cut not, the mustard. Not not as good as, let's see, Yano. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 
have no no insights. I mean, those guys are going to be on the uh, Independence Tour uh, for Cork and Hall next month. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Get this, uh, Tony. They're doing an uh, New Japan Independence Day tour, right? And it's like the the mo- It's for July Fourth. It's like to celebrate. That's- America's Independence Day, right? Yes. Like America's it's Independence in Day, but Tokyo, it's, but it's in Japan. <laughs> is that something that they do? No. I feel like that's not something that they do. No, they're they're just they're they're doing a tour where they're bringing all the guys from Strong over that were like part of the Strong brand, right? But it's the Independence Day tour, and it's all red, white, and blue themed, but it's in Tokyo. That confuses me. It, is, it makes no sense. <laughs> Uh, then uh, last question here about the uh, G1. But, but I will say this. If I was Fred Rosser, right, I would be looking for a weak link in this group, and I would take them fucking out. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, cause a quote-unquote injury. Figure out something. You know, Tanahashi's not moving around so good these days. <laughs> you know? Is he in the Is he in the G1? Yeah. Of course. Oh, He's not going to oh, ever course. not be in it. Ace. <laughs> Never tired. Oh, I never gives God. up. When 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 Tanahashi has his final G one, which there will be a, you know, there there has like, to be a final one. Yeah, they're gonna do like the final Tanahashi G one. I'm gonna cry every single night, every <laughs> match. Uh, they should put like him in like an old man block so he could win it when that when that block. <laughs> Throw like Kojima no, in there. No, fuck that. He needs he needs to do the Nagata. Lose every single night. Uh, but uh, last G one question here from friend of the show Dan Coffin. He says, "You know, I love Eddie Kingston, and his dream was to com- compete in the G one. But at this stage of his career, do you think he can make it through a grueling tournament like this without any injuries?" Yes. Um, I, I'm not gonna say no. But do I think there's a high possibility that he might not be able to? Uh, I would say yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know he is. Some people see him as injury prone. He has had a lot of injuries in the last couple of years. But, yeah, I think he'll be able to do it. I think he'll be able to go through. And if he gets injured, I don't think they'll be able to keep him from, from wrestling. Yeah, this man's living his dream. Yeah, Eddie's tough. Like, if he can walk out there and have a match, he's going to go out there and have a match. I got to say, of all the guys that they could have sent over from AEW, barring, like, say, you know, like a Kenny Omega or, like, a Danielson, I'm I'm glad he's the guy they sent because um, they're not doing shit with him anyways. Yeah. Nah, dude, I don't know the last time he was on TV. Well, he just returned, He just uh, recovered from a hernia, hernia surgery. Yeah, he had a hernia, but he was working ROH exclusively prior to that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't watch ROH either, so I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not watching. I'm not watching more New Japan Strong. That shit ended. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of questions here I missed. Uh, Dark Soldier says, "Were there anyone more excited to see Mikey Nichols in the G1 than Gino?" <laughs> oh yeah, Gino was on commentary. We didn't mention that. That's right? Yeah, Gino Gambino back on. Yeah, the- I think that's what the Onion bit was about. I think the Onion was supposed to turn into Gino, and that's what the whole gimmick was. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Um, Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not mad that Mikey Nichols is in it, but I also wasn't. Let's just say I'm much more excited that Shane Haste is in this. (laughs) Uh, X Ethan says it appears that both Futuro and Foley won't be in in this year's G1. Do you think that either man will be in another one ever again? 
I hope not. <laughs> in, in the famous words of Bad Luck Fale, fuck him! <laughs> uh, and he also asks, are there any wrestlers you were expecting to be within the G1 that aren't in this year? So for me, I thought Tom Waller would return. Maybe. I mean, I, you know, I actually hadn't even thought of that. So um, I could see where you guys are coming from, but this... Uh, Literally, this podcast, the first time I realized he wasn't even in it. <laughs> was yeah. he in the last one? Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was in last year. He made his uh, debut tournament last year. Yeah, good tournament, too. Yeah, Lawler's good. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't uh, put him back in there, especially with the whole Independence Day shows happening like a week before G1. You know, he's already in the country. Um, yeah, you would think maybe him, maybe J.R. Kratos, uh, Rosser. You never know. I mean, there could be legitimate reasons. Maybe like there were scheduling conflicts. You, you just you'd never know. Maybe he's getting signed too. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's signed somewhere. Yeah, yeah, like that's the, possible. Like the Fed. <laughs> Independence Day is his uh, his uh, farewell. <laughs> yeah, that's his curtain call. <laughs> Uh, so moving back on with the rest of the card, uh, sixth match of the evening, we had the never open weight title match. The champion David Finley succeeds in his second defense against El Phantasmo. Uh, David Finley here coming out with his uh, new Bullet Club: Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors, Dan Maloney, Gabriel Kidd, and of course uh, Bloody Hands Gato. And you know, uh, I think it was last month I was saying you know Finley needs a moment. Where he walks out with his bull club, and, and we got it here. It is weird though, because like I, I, I'm not gonna like go through and look up who's in the bull club because it's too confusing. There's too many people, but like there there was nobody from the current day bull club that was there to also like bridge that gap. Like this is just suddenly a whole new team. Like yeah, well, Kenta was in the states uh, beating Nick Wayne, and Ishimori right. Ishimori's injured. I think okay. and Chase is injured too. I think he, his first match back will be G one. See, I, I forgot that they were even. So there's Chase Owens, there's David Finley, there. Or I'm sorry, uh, Kenta, uh, Ishimori. Is there anyone else that's in it? That I mean, I guess. I mean, technically, Fale's Fale, Dylan, and, and the whole House of Torture. Yeah, they're yeah they're supposedly Bull Club too. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Plus, where where the fuck was Liber Lucci? <laughs> the Bull the Bullet Club Australia. <laughs> yeah. There's no Liebird. Caveman there's no Ugg. Bonza, there's no Caveman Ugg. You know, the, uh, the, 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 those two twin guys. The velocities. <laughs> it's not the Velocities. It's the, um, I forget their names. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but anyways, um, ELP, we got uh, our first look at what a baby face on his own ELP looked like. He had new music, new gear. I think his gear was kind of like X-Pac inspired. I know he's done that before, but this this gear kind of gave me those uh, X-Pac, you know, Sean Waltman vibes as well. And uh, I thought this match was good, but it didn't really capture my attention the way a lot of the other stuff on this show did. Like, it just seemed there was a point where it kind of lulled and maybe it was due to the length of the show. I don't know. But um it did pick up down the tail end, and ultimately it, it looked like um, ELP was going to overcome all of the outside interference from the Bullet Club, but ultimately putting too much attention on those guys opened up an opportunity for Finley to put him through a table that had been set up earlier in the evening. 
and created uh, the opportunity for him to put his finish on ELP and get the the definitive one two three. It wasn't a clean victory, but you know, for for a bad guy cheater like uh, David Finley, it was a pretty, I guess, quote unquote, definitive. And this was definitely like a crossroads match where we weren't sure who was going to come out on top and. You know, it, it seemed now that they've got this new bull club. David Finley kind of needed that clarity and that um, strong win here. Was there a story between Finley and ELP? ELP leading was, into this match. Yeah, he was in the Bullet Club. Okay, that's what I thought. And David Finley, um, David Finley was brought in and kind of became the new de facto leader when Jay White left. And these two guys had a lot of beef because it was like, who's going to be the leader? Is ELP even going to support David Finley? They had a lot of like, you know, butting of heads. And then ultimately, David Finley was able to consolidate power and get everybody in the group to turn on ELP and kick him out. And uh, yeah, and that was pretty much it. So he's he turned into, and after that, ELP turned into a good guy. And okay. Well, I mean, yeah, the crowd loved him. Yeah. I mean, when he was uh, making his. His sprint at the end of the match, the crowd was going crazy for him. So that was my biggest takeaway was I hadn't seen him wrestle in a long time, and I don't remember him getting that sort of reaction. Well, it helps when you're doing a high-flying, cool-ass shit. <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's, he's a great high-flyer. Yeah, also helps when your new theme is just constantly repeating your initials over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so I had the uh, like a Jericho jacket. Oh, he, yeah, history. he's had that for a while. Actually, you know what's funny is, like, I think that Prince Devitt started doing that before Jericho. He did, yeah. Devitt was the first one doing it, yeah. And, like, Jericho kind of, like, jacked that shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he had the, the ELP uh, new music. Kind of reminded me of uh, Rob Van Dam's uh, TNA music, where it just, like, screamed his name over and over again. Rob Van Dam! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I – he was doing the, like, whole, like, E-L-P, and he was, like, trying to get them – I don't think this first run that the people totally caught on, but they're going to like that's yeah. gonna be a thing, and that's super smart. Like, uh, Rich, I'm, I know you're 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 listening. Uh, if you want to get some of these wrestlers over with your theme music, you know, just just put some initials in there. <laughs> just repeat their name over and over and over again. <laughs> At least they'll remember your name when they leave. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a fun matchup. Obviously, not the best matchup in the evening. Obviously, more of a kind of a storytelling thing here, kind of establishing Finley and his bull club and kind of um, continuing the story between Finley and El Phantasmo. Um, and ultimately, yeah, due to all the, the outside distractions, um, ELP, you know, he tried to take out uh, the rest of the bull club, did a big uh, flip to the outside on both uh, set, of, set of guys there. But, yeah, it came down to Finley hitting the into oblivion. Uh, neckbreaker move on ELP gets the win and retains the title. We have a ton of questions here uh, on this matchup here. Uh, first from Reddit user. Let's go through them quick so we can get to the good shit. <laughs> Reddit user Jake <laughs> 8 Jake. Although I'm still not sold on David Finley, something just still hasn't clicked for me. I am vibing with the refresh of Bull Club. Young, hungry, young, hungry, and violent, which begs the question is House of Torture finally out of Bull Club? LOL. We don't know that, but. Kind of feels that way. Yeah, I mean, Finley kind of teased that, like, yeah, all these offshoot versions are kind of out. You know, Bull Club Australia, they're out. Bull Club Gold, they're out. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's unofficially official that House of Torture is out. 
I just hope Dan Maloney, instead of throwing up the crowns, he starts throwing up like the wolf pack symbol all the time. <laughs> well, they did they did change up the two suite a little bit. Instead of uh, going forward, they're doing it like back backwards. That's fucking stupid. Also, <laughs> afterwards, I hope he gets up in the camera and he goes for life. <laughs> <laughs> just completely jacket the whole thing. Yeah. Worked for uh, the original Bull Club. <laughs> and then I want him to like get on the mic and be like, survey says. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> hey, yo. One more for the good guy, for the bad guys. Oh, man. Uh, next question here. Let's commission 7252. It says, my Discord group believes that ELP will join G-O-D. What do you guys think about that? Your Discord group is fucking stupid. <laughs> no, I'm just playing <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't thought of that. Um, is G.O.D. a, a, a faction? They're a, a sub-faction of Hauntai. It is, I, I am not sure where he's What were you saying? I thought G.O.D. was just the tag team of the, the Tongans. Kind of, but I think they've they, got they like expanded. members now. So now the, the their younger brother, Hikaleo, is also considered G.O.D. And then also um, Jado is considered G.O.D. Okay. I, I, I would find... I would find it difficult to go that way unless, um, you know, like Tamatonga is going to like kind of descend, you know? Me and, and doesn't it seem weird to like make, because I'm pretty sure at this point, wherever ELP goes, he's going to be a main player. And Tamatonga has already kind of established himself as like a upper mid card slash main eventer. So how the dynamics there would be really fucking weird. Plus, like, G.O.D. is definitely, like, their thing. So are they going to bring in uh, ELP to be, like, their front man? Like, that would feel fucking kind of disingenuous and weird, you know? ELP could be their own heart. No. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he's the own heart, does that mean Tamatonga is the rock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where ELP lands because it feels like they've got too many, you know, big name white guys in the company right now. Yeah, I mean, he kind of teased just being Hontai um, when he he attacked Dave Finley last month at uh, Dontaku. Uh, but yeah, I don't know where. I don't know yeah, if GOD is the quite the right fit for him. Uh, but I definitely do think he he needs to land in a stable or he's gonna get lost in the mix. Mox has been okay. Well, Mox is that's that's different. <laughs> ELP will be fine. Uh, next question here from Germanis says at Dominion, Finley made a lot of additions to Bull Club, a lot of young wrestlers. Finley is older than all four of these wrestlers. Kenta is uh older. You think Kenta, Ishimori, and or Chase will remain in BC? Don't know, don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> uh, I, I'm here for the youth movement. I don't care what happens to those dudes. Yeah. Uh, Ginger Ninja 666 with Finley's focus on young violent bruisers. Do you think Ishimori and Kenta have a new place in Bull Club? I'm kind of curious how those two would fare in House of Torture. To be honest, Kenta already wrestles a pseudo House of Torture style, in my opinion. Oh, boy. You know what's funny about all this is like, and I've said this many times in the show, and I'm not dogging i appreciate the questions but like after 10 years of bullet club i don't give a fuck about any of this like inner turmoil who's gonna land where where are they going i don't care about it (laughs) 
I am only excited about the new people that they brought in who seem like they're very promising and have like an upside, but like Ishimori, don't give a fuck. Tama or you know, uh Kenta, I don't care. House of Torture, I, I literally don't care what happens to any <laughs> of these dudes. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Obviously, a lot of people care about this stuff because we get questions about it every single week. So I must be in the minority. And I think people, it's amazing this company has never actually pulled the trigger on a Bullet Club Civil War. It seems like if they could just get their ducks in a row, they'd make a lot of money because there's a lot of people that actually give a fuck about this stuff. I'm just not one of them. I I just want to see like all these new young dudes beat everybody's asses. But, you know, that's just me. Tony, any thoughts on um, Bullet Club? I mean, I don't know who's in it anymore, <laughs> so I, I kind of have to go with Josh. Where <laughs> young like, I like the guys that I saw. The young Bucks yeah, are I know not that. part of it <laughs> AJ Styles, he's, he's not. <laughs> is is uh, Devitt still the leader? <laughs> no. Cody's gone. He's not with them anymore. <laughs> I mean, I have to agree with Josh. I like the younger guys. I like all the LA Dojo guys being part of Bullet Club. Yeah, gives well, them something to do. Gives them a a group and an identity that maybe they didn't have before. Yeah, and it kind of takes Bullet Club back to its roots of you know having all these kind of angry young foreigners who you know feel like they're misused and underutilized in New Japan and want to make their claim. You know, the original group, you know, of Devitt and uh, Fale and Tamatanga and Carl Anderson. You know, that was kind of the kind of you know mission statement for uh bull club and so we're kind of getting back to what bull club was originally established on yeah i agree i don't give a fuck yeah. about what happens to you jiro <laughs> <laughs> uh hawaiian punch bb says do you think that finley is compensating by recruiting some jack guys when he is not so jacked physique yeah yeah it's a solid move <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what i would do <laughs> Uh, Dark Soldier says that Finley eat Goldberg cereal. How has he become so dominant in the end of his matches? Well, he put the guy through a table is one part of it. <laughs> <laughs> he had five people out there distracting his opponent. <laughs> Listen, I, I get what you're saying, but that man's father is Fit Finley, okay? Enough said. <laughs> I want to wonder how he's so dominant. Uh Back to uh, what you were alluding earlier from Rich. He says, what is it about Kevin Knight that David Finley hasn't recruited him to BC yet? He was in the dojo. Same class. I'm beginning to suspect things. I'll just say this. Got a lot of young, strong dudes. Not a lot of diversity. At least in the original Bull Club, they had Fale and Tamatanga. But this one, it's just a bunch of white dudes, bro. (laughs) (laughs) They saw all that athleticism in Kevin Knight and said, nah, we'll pass. <laughs> they're they're anti-flips. <laughs> uh, X Ethan says, the age-old question must be answered again. Do you think we will see a Bullet Club split finally, given Finley has created another side of Bullet Club? If somehow Bullet Club did split, where do you see wrestlers like Ishimura, Ken- Ishimori, Kenta, Fale, and Chase aligning, or do you see them being their own side of Bullet Club or even a different faction? Which we kind of just nine guys. <laughs> <laughs> the group formerly known as Bullet Club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and then uh, Dan Coppin says, which one of these new BC members will eventually turn on Finley? He made a joke about Clark Connors being the new leader of Bullet Club, and I w- hadn't watched the show yet, so I thought he spoiled me, and I was like, I guess they're going with Clark Connors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Let's uh, still have it be uh, Carl Fredericks. Oh, wait, he's not here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eddie Thorpe. <laughs> oh, man. Do you think Carl's kicking himself right now? No. He's making so much more money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, let's move on to the next match up here. Seventh match of the evening. And this match was actually supposed to be the semi-main event, but uh, Claudio... Uh, Plane was delayed, and he was like literally on the way to the building. Quote unquote delayed, <laughs> fucking big time <laughs> asshole. Uh, so this At least ma- it's not in the G one, right, Josh? Oh, you gotta move me up. You gotta move me up on the card. I'm not gonna make it. Oh, I gotta be semi main event. You gotta pay me semi main event money. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, there's a, there's a big storm, Claudio. The weather, the weather's perfect. No. <laughs> I said, where I'm at, there's a big storm. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. Hiromu Takahashi defeats the best Super Junior 30 winner, Master Wato, 19 minutes and 50 seconds. I said a few weeks ago that I thought if these guys wrestled, Hiromu would win. But if there was any person... That had a good shot of beating him coming out of the tournament, it would be Watto. And so I was very unsure about the outcome of this match. And um, I thought they had a really, really good match here. Uh, I don't know if I think it necessarily peaked as high as either of these two guys' um, better matches during Best of the Super Juniors, but I still found this to be very enjoyable. And it reminded me in tone and pace of the four way from wrestle kingdom this past year, where it was like, Watto was just chasing, chasing, chasing. And he got a lot of really great near falls. You know, he got uh Hiromu in the Vendival for some uh, very convincing near submissions, uh, received mente. He hit him with the uh, Everest German. I mean, and that Everest German was like super established during the super junior tournament that like, if he hits you with that, you're going to lose. So it felt very much like Watto was throwing everything at this guy and he wasn't able to still secure the one, two, three. Um, but I felt like he, he looked like he was keeping pace with Hiromu and he was on his level, which a year ago we would not have been saying that about Master Watto. So that just kind of goes to show you uh, – the good that the booking of super juniors has done for him, as well as his personal improvements in every facet of the game. Um, aside from that, Hiromu was just his usual great self. And, you know, I, I feel like in a lot of these matches, he's kind of just weathering the storm in these title matches. He's weathering the storm from these guys and then hitting them with his big moves and kind of just getting them out of there. And that's what happened here again. And he's got a quest. He's trying to break the all time, IWGP junior heavyweight tag team uh, title or, you know, defense record. And I feel like this was the the biggest test he's had along that, that, uh, that journey. And now that he won this match, I'm pretty convinced no one's beating him. Uh, he's going to defend that thing 12 times and, and break the record. But Watto looked great. Ultimately, I think the, the, the culmination of this 
is likely that down the line, Wato will be the guy that dethrones Hiromu to finally win the title. That's like his going to be his big cl- uh, crowning, you know, achievement essentially. Wato made a fan out of me with this match. Like I hadn't gone back and seen much of his Super Juniors, but I thought Wato was great. Hiromu, I've you know always thought has been great, but Wato I thought was awesome. Uh, I love the pace early where Hiromu was just beating the brakes off of Wato fast, you know, slamming him into the guardrails, drop kicking him, throw him in the ring, just put a hurting on him. And then, you know, all Wato's stuff is great, like the big Germans and the what does he call his his move to the side? The Recidamente? Yeah, yeah Recidamente. Yeah, that move was great. I thought he was gonna win, so I was a little shocked when he didn't. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were kind of kind of buying into Wato Mania, and Osaka is Wato's hometown, so they did kind of set it up. You know, he wins a tournament. He's the hometown boy. He's finally, you know, getting this big title match one-on-one with Hiromu. Uh, but, yeah, I thought he was great in the matchup. Um, like Josh was saying, definitely a vast improvement from previous years. Uh, I mean, you know, you think back to when he first debuted in 2020 in an empty arena uh, to where he is now. It's just a, a kind of a great journey to see, and, yeah, like uh, you guys were mentioning, the Germans were great, and especially, you know, he's really established that that Mount Everest uh, variation throughout the Super Junior Tournament. So when he hit that, I definitely bit on that near fall. He uh, he won the tournament with the Reseda Mente, so I thought when he hit that, that was another great uh, near fall. You know, we were questioning, you know, where his uh, tornillos at. Well, he busted out a tornillo to the outside uh, to, uh, to Romo. He did attempt for the uh, the RPP, but was not able to get that. Um he hit the Tenzan uh, Tombstone Driver as well, which was fucking sick. I yeah. think that that's the real key here. All these years, he's been trying to hit that, R- what's it called, the RPP? Yeah, the uh, Spiral Tap, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's been trying to hit the RPP in all these big matches for so many years, and he always misses it. I think that's the key, is like when they have the big blow-off match, he's going to land that. I don't know if it will be Hiromu who's champion, although that would be the most ideal scenario. But regardless, someday this guy's going to hit the RPP on whoever the champion is, and it's going to be a big fucking deal. It's probably going to be a Wrestle Kingdom type situation, and he's going to win the big title. Yeah. And they definitely kind of set this whole story up of uh, Wato continuously saying he's going to be the one to beat Hiromu. And so they could have Hiromu get, get to 12 defenses and then. And that time, Wato kind of gets better, and he's a guy that uh, finally beats Hiromu. What yeah. defense number was this one? Six? Yeah, either five or six. I'll look. Yeah. Uh, while you're looking, oh, go ahead, Tony. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't remember Wato being anywhere at like on this part of the card last time I was watching a New Japan show. So he must have been – he's moving up quickly. Yeah, I mean, when he first came in, I mean, he was kind of under cards. I mean, he was working guys like Doki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and then he's just kind of been mainly in multi-man tags. He did have a uh, tag team title run with uh, Risuke Taguchi uh, last year as the team six or nine. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of been yeah mid-card, kind of upper mid-card, depending on what side of the show. But, yeah, in the last year, it's kind of been a big push for him. Last year, um, they did a four-way program with him, uh, Ishimori, Hiromu, and Desperado. It was kind of like the real kind of first big push for him getting into the uh, the main event scene. So this was his fifth successful title defense. And I'd have to look again, but I think the all-time record is uh, when he 
held the title, and I think he had 11 successful defenses. So I think that Hiroma needs 12 to beat that record. Yeah, and he's going to go in a, a little bit of probably of a dry spell uh, for July with Super Juniors or with, uh, G1 happening. I know they're doing the uh, the Junior Festival in August, so maybe he'll get a defense there and then some more defenses uh, during the fall. I feel like they're going to need to find some other creative ways for him to, to defend the title in the meantime, whether that's uh, shows in America or maybe even potentially shows um, in other promotions. I, I, I don't know the new... Bro, it's so hard to keep up with everything going on with New Japan adjacent stuff. But, like, I know he's got, like, a date in Dragon Gate coming up apparently soon. Yeah, July. Yeah, he's going to be on Kobe Festival. Yeah. So maybe that could lead to something, you know? Yeah, definitely. Also, there's Forbidden Door. There's uh, Fantastica Mania in Mexico. There's a couple different yeah, spots interpromotionally that he could defend. It just feels like they need to do that because there's – they don't defend this title, uh, you know, frequently enough. And with – Especially during the G1, it, it it becomes basically dormant the same way all the other titles do. Yeah. They're defending it more than last year, though, it seems. <laughs> right now they are. Yeah, they're making that concerted effort. But to get to that, I mean, unless they're going to really draw this title reign out for even greater than a year, then maybe that's, you know, on the table as well. I don't know. But if I was them, I would maybe look at defending it in America, maybe in uh, like All Japan or NOAA or something like that, you know? Yeah, I've uh, got a few questions here on this matchup. Uh, okay, okay, eight ninety says with Watto coming up short at the two biggest junior matches of the year, is he going to get his redemption and be the one to dethrone Hiromu? I, I'm hoping so. We'll see. Could be. That's what it kind of seems like they're kind of laying the groundwork for. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says is Watto now known as the waitee to the Grandmaster? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I think he's just trying to do a, a way, uh, you know, play on the name. You know, now you think he, he means like wait to the grandmaster, like Wyatt to, to the grandmaster. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he just typoed. No, I think he was trying to just do a play off of Watto and way to the grandmaster. I, I would like to figure out what that even fucking means eventually. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the way to become the grandmaster. No, like when, like you know, they need to do like a interview with him and be like, "What did you fucking mean when you said you're gonna, you're the way to the grandmaster?" Like, <laughs> Oh, this is something he said in an interview. What, what That's it? his. That was his nickname when he came into the company. It's still his Master, nickname. Yeah, Master Watto, the way to the Grandmaster. Like, okay. what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a state of mind. Yeah, I guess. Uh, then uh, Dark Soldier says, "Do you feel Hiromu so far is the best champion in New Japan this year?" All his matches have ranged from good to great, and all his opponents look like they have a chance of winning. That might have to do with it being the junior belt, and they've been more willing to ping-pong titles around since 2020, but the point still stands. What say you? Um, it's, it's a tough call. He, he probably is the best champion in the company this year. Um, it's, it, it's a toss-up between him and Zack Sabre Jr., but I think he's had more big... I mean... Zach's working 15 minute matches. Hiromu's working semi and main events. So there's kind of the difference there. Yeah. And plus, Zach's doing more outside stuff, kind of ROH, AEW yeah. defenses also. Uh, so moving on now to semi main event of the evening. We had the never open weight six man tag team tiles on the line. 
the champions, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, they defeated the members of the Blackpool Combat Club of Claudio Casagnoli and John Moxley and Shota Umino. Yeah, this match fucking ruled. It was uh, definitely like part two of the match that we got in America just a few weeks ago where Claudio wasn't in it and instead we had Wheeler, Utah. Um, this was basically, in a lot of ways, just a continuation of that match. And there was a lot of really cool callback spots between the two matches. Uh, the crowd was really like feeling it, really into everything. And that's one of the other cool things when you have these big shows and you bring in the outsiders, the guys that ha- aren't around that often, but you use them in the right ways. That's what they did here with you know John Moxley. This is the first time he's been back in Japan since pre-pandemic and then claudio has never worked for the company so that was really cool and i thought that uh shoto mino looked really you know comfortable he's just coming more and more into his own and improving night after night uh the heat between him and okada was really apparent all throughout the match and okada's just being a dick and you know just being this grumpy old man who just beats (laughs) everybody's ass is fucking awesome and uh Seeing him and John Moxley mix it up, seeing him and Claudio mix it up is really, really cool. Um, I don't think, for me personally, I, I saw like for a lot of the Western audience, I think this was what pe- many people considered the match of the night. Um, and I could definitely see why. Plus, I think there's a lot of Western appeal considering who was in it. For me, I, I uh, and I'll just tell you right now, I liked the main event best for, for the evening, but this wasn't a really incredible six man tag, really, really wild all over the place. Lots of brawling, just super heat. And, uh, and it's building up to forbidden door and everything that's kind of following that. So yeah, this, this rocked. Uh, I love pissed off Okada (laughs) where he was just beating up, uh, Shoto Umino. I thought that was great. And then the headbutt Ishii got on Moxley was awesome. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah. He busted him open. I wasn't sure if that was hard way or if he just bladed because he always blades. So I it, really it don't seemed too know. quick for a blade. I don't know, man, but he just he got him with that headbutt. I think he just split him open. And it's probably a receipt from their G1 match a few years back. <laughs> like, I've been waiting Maybe. for this. <laughs> Actually, you know what it probably was? Moxley's just that dude. You know, he, he was probably in the back. He's like, when you headbutt me, you fucking really headbutt me. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what I thought. I was like, he probably just <laughs> Asked for it, or you know, it's you, understood at that point. You laid that shit in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Moxley had just had that match uh, at the AEW show, so like his, you know, his skin may have still been a little soft, and that headbutt just split him both open. Yeah, but and I thought that I thought you say that great. match. You mean every match that he's in? <laughs> yeah, yes. Every time he wrestles, <laughs> I thought the New Japan team looked great together. They had a lot of. A lot of good timing, a lot of good flow. I hadn't seen those three guys together in a six-man before. Yeah, there was a story leading into it where like Ishii didn't want to team with Tanahashi because he's not technically chaos. You know, they kind of right. always warred against him, but like begrudgedly, they all came together. And now it's like a super team because you've got like these three legends that you never thought would be together. They're like finally together, and it's like the never six man tag team titles went from being like literally a, a few months ago, a joke title to like, now it's semi main eventing the second biggest show. Of the year. 
<laughs> I mean, you got Tanahashi, Okada, Ishii, Moxley, and Claudio all in the match. Yeah, and yeah. Umino's like probably earmarked. He's probably going to be an ace of the company in the future. Like that's how how much like faith they got in that guy too. So, Tony, did you ever uh, work Moxley when you did any of the dark tapings? I did not. Febu did. Yeah, I think I remember that one. Yeah, he yeah, got he choked cho- out. He literally <laughs> choked out Fabs for real. Yes, unless, unless Fabs is lying to me. No, he he did for real. <laughs> like that's that's his claim. He goes, I was never beat. Moxley never beat me. <laughs> he choked me out. And the referee stopped it. Well, every match I've ever had was, you know, basically, uh, you know, those weren't real. Those were uh, scrimmages, exhibitions. They were, they were exhibition matches. So I'm undefeated. Correct. They were not sanctioned. They right, were sanctioned, sanctioned by Matt Seidel. And that, that, what kind of sanctioning is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but this match was absolutely awesome. Um, I, I'm going to full five on it. Um, I, Holy I, crap. Yeah, dude. I, I love this thing, dude. The heat was great. Um, Okada and Shota, man, every time they're out there, to see intensity uh, between them is just great and you know, we're getting that Kiyomiya Okada energy where Okada's just, you know, pissed off prick and he's just slapping Umino and kicking him in the face. All that was great. Uh, Moxley and Ishii, all their interactions uh, were great against each other. Uh, first time seeing Claudio in New Japan uh, was great. It's a big swing on uh, Okada, uh, also killing it with his strength game. He did his awesome uh, tilt-a-world on, on Tanahashi. That was great. Uh, yeah, just everything with this matchup, I just felt like the energy, the crowd was super into it. Um, you know, you, you got color with uh, Moxley, uh, Okada, and Umino brawling on the outside. They did a, a spot again where Umino throws a table at Okada, <laughs> sets it back up nicely after he's done. Like Hit him right in the head. Bow. Again. <laughs> yeah, like there was just so much great um, about this match. I mean, we could run down all the moves, but like there's just everything in this I thought was just great, super clean. When Okada was in the uh, uh, big swing, like uh, there were so many times where his head came really close to the ropes. I was like, (laughs) 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 you know, uh, good on good on Claudio being able to control that shit because he was, uh, you know, veering a little close to those ropes. But uh, that was pretty wild, too. Yeah, Yeah. the the match was great. And uh, and it's setting up one of the biggest matches possible between these two companies, which is equally or even more exciting so yeah post-match uh moxley he gets the mic he couldn't get the mic to work at first he didn't turn it on uh but he got it turned on and then uh he's like you know you guys say you're the best wrestlers in the world I don't believe that because we train with the best wrestler in the world and he has a message for you and we get to the titan tron and we see uh danielson walking you know doing his hikes in the mountains and talking about being in the desert and it doesn't rain in the desert and that's where he's gonna take okada Oh shit! I didn't catch that. That's funny. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, you're the rainmaker." Well, I'm in the desert. It doesn't rain in the desert. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, Brian Danielson challenging Kazuchika Okada. So it looks like yeah, we're gonna get the American Dragon versus the Rainmaker at Forbidden Door Two. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one heck of a dream match there. Uh, which brings us to some questions here. So, Okada, uh, okay, okay, eight ninety says, "Who is more likely to lose at Forbidden Door, Okada or Osprey?" I hadn't thought of that, and I'm not ready to answer that question just yet. I'm gonna have to pass, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, it's a great question, but I, I don't fucking know. 
I don't know. I feel like both of those guys should win. Yeah, I do. I think so too, but that does not seem likely, right? If I was just going politically and I'm just thinking, and then, you know what? This is a great question. Yeah, I mean, if you think. It's probably more likely that Osprey is going to lose than Okada is going to lose. Yeah, I would say probably out. Yeah, there's better chances for Okada, but at the end of the day, I think both guys should win their matches. They could both lose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think Okada's going to lose. I feel like Danielson's like dying to like lose to Okada. Over. Yeah, yeah, I think he like wants to put Okada over. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get hit with the rainmaker, please. <laughs> Uh, uh, next question here, Wine Punch BB. How stoked are you that now, now the never six man titles are back at the top titles in the promotion? It's good. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. I mean, if it's this team, yeah, <laughs> be a lot of good matches. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's not surprising that the two greatest teams in the history of this title both involve Tomohiro Ishii. Go figure. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What's the other team you're talking about? What was uh, the him other and Bishamon had like okay. le- literally like a legendary title ring with these titles. Yeah, they, they saved like New Japan during the pandemic with like all their six man defenses. The fact that they didn't win tag team of the year that year was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh Dr. Larry the Dark says, Do you guys want Blackpool Combat Club just to become a new New Japan stable. I'd probably be more into them in New Japan than I am in AEW right now, honestly. Yeah, there's just something about John Moxley that comes off a little bit differently when he's in New Japan versus AEW. Right, he's, he's better in New Japan than he is in AEW. He just is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I dig it. Uh, MJSPR says, without fantasy booking, what titles are you expecting to see defended at Forbidden Door 2? All of them. <laughs> yeah, Night of Champions. Every match is a title match. 16 match know. card. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't want to get into it into the weeds, but uh, I kind of get the feeling that neither world title is getting defended. Uh, that's a possibility, yeah, considering MJF, who doesn't want to wrestle any New Japan guy in kayfabe, and then not as a guy where fans don't really have a ton of people that want to see him face from the AEW side. And the political- when is Forbidden Door? Forbidden Door, June twenty like fifth. Yeah. Oh yeah, they don't have anything like lined up for either of the titles. Then. Well, they they got time, you know, they could throw, whip something together, but it's like uh, there's so much politics involved. It might just be safer for them to just have Kenny and and uh, Will be the main event and just have that title be the main focus. Yeah, I mean, they are in Canada, so uh, main right. eventing with Kenny makes the most sense to me. I mean, and here's the thing. I think MJF is great. I think Sonata is great. Is that there's not a single match possible. There's literally not a single match possible that you could arrange for either guy that's going to be able to compete <laughs> with Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson versus Kazushi Okada. <laughs> like, it's not happening, bro. I don't care if you bring back, like, Kota Ibushi. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> Bret Hart could come back in his prime. And, you know? Steps out the time machine and just... <laughs> Lucas couldn't save this shit. I don't know. You know? Bruno San Martino. is not walking through that door. <laughs> Uh, Pedro Morales 
bro. You put. <laughs> listen to me. If you bring in Kenta Kobashi and Kurt Angle and put them in matches with those two men, they're not going to be able to compete with the matches we're about to get from these other four guys. It's done. Don't have the titles defended. Trust me. You're asking for trouble. <laughs> Oh man! All right, let's uh, go to the the main event here. Speaking of Sonata, he defended the IWGP World Heavyweight Title against Yota Suji, and he defeated Suji seventeen minutes and one second. My match of the night. I loved this match. I really, really, really enjoyed this match, and it was such a great change of pace from the traditional house style of New Japan's big main events that's always going over 30 minutes. This match went just over 17 minutes and barely by like a second. And, um, you know, we had Sonata coming out here. Sonata looks like a million bucks. He's surrounded by just five guys. And then there's that dichotomy where like he started off this year, a member of LIJ. He left LIJ, found his fortune, became a top player became the champion and then Suji shows up and like, we haven't seen Suji in this company at all since he left. Like, yeah, he's been doing other things. He's been in rev pro he's been in CMLL, but we haven't even seen him wrestle any match. The only match, the only match that we saw him actually, I, I scratched that he worked two nights last year during the Royal quest tour when new Japan was in England mm-hmm. and he had that one singles match with uh Ishii, which was fucking awesome. But like realistically in the kayfabe, we have not seen this guy whatsoever and he hasn't worked a proper match for new Japan in years. And there were a lot of unanswered questions. He came out. He's a full fledged member of LIJ. One thing that I thought was incredible was how the the match started and like Suji just stands there and he throws up the fucking fist and he's got that that shit it eating grin mm-hmm. and um all of LIJ is like looking really confused they're like uh do we want to fist bump this dude and like it felt like he was saying I'm the man now in yes. this group <laughs> I'm the and, leader like, I'm the leader I'm and, the like, captain now <laughs> yeah look at me <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, Naito's like, all right, I'll do it for one night. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, to me, that meant he's the new leader. So all hail Suji. But um, Suji looked like a million bucks. He's got the tassels. He's got Jay White-inspired gear. <laughs> and um, they, this was another match that was just go, go, go. Like, they, they definitely had a lot of, like, um, psychology and stuff. But, like, this man went for a spear right out the gate. Both guys were going for their finishers. And I feel like the match was designed to get Suji over more so than anything else because he took probably 75% of the match. I thought Sonata looked very motivated and was on top of his game. The crowd was into both guys, but I think Suji was probably getting the bigger reactions. Mm-hmm. Um the thing I noticed, I mean, there's two things that really stood out, though. In probably the last 15 years, of all the guys from every class that have come back from excursion, only two people have been putting have ever been put in a similar situation to Suji. And that would be like Okada when he first fought uh, Tanahashi for the title and, and beat him. And um, Hiromu when he came back and he beat Kushida for the title. Other than that, if you go down the laundry list of young lions returning from excursion, and there's a lot of them, 
some really big names. Nobody's been put into a position to headline a major main event against a world champion the way they did with Suji. I think that they know what they have with this guy because he looked like a million bucks. If you think about some of the other people that have been in this company that have been given big spots like Great Okan, Jay White, Yota, or, uh, Shota Umino, Ren Narita, you know, the list goes on and on. All of those guys have had hiccups and have had bumps. And like you can see that there's promise there, but they don't look like the finished product. I'm not saying Suji's the finished product, but he did not for one second look like a guy that felt out of place. He looked like he was a hundred percent confident about who the fuck he was and who what like where he thinks he is in the pecking order of New Japan. I'm all in on Yota Suji. Yes. This is my guy, bro. Like I think he's the best of his entire class right now, including Yuya Uemura. Like you can come, you can come get these hands, bro. Like <laughs> I can't think of anybody in this company that I don't want to see Yotasuji run it with and beat. And yeah, and that includes the Ace, and that includes Okada, and that includes <laughs> Shingo. All of them, all of them. Like this was awesome, and um, the match was really great. Really high, fast paced, high octane. A lot of really great classic near falls and Sonata was kind of working from underneath and, and kicking out of everything, but ultimately he's comfortable here. He's been to this stage and he had more experience than Suji did. And he was able to weather the storm, get Suji into the, uh, the skull end. He hit the, um, shining the wizard and then the deadfall shining wizard and then the deadfall and got him out of there. One, two, three. And that, was a little anticlimactic finish, but it was believable. And I think that they've got another great match between them down the line. And uh, yeah, I love this. I, I'm like four and a half plus. I loved it. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen Suji. Like I know Josh said he was in England and Mexico. I didn't see any of those matches. I thought he was awesome. Star. He's he's a superstar already. I loved where he just speared him right out of the the leapfrog early yeah. in the match. Yeah, that, that, was, that was awesome. And that set the tone for the rest of the match where Suji was up for like, I'd say all the way until the finish almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love this match. This man, Suji, came out here dressed like a young bucks. Loved that. <laughs> came out here. Huge. He's huge. Yes. Though. Huge, huge young buck. Uh, he came out here, did a Fosbury flop in the beginning of the match. I was sold then. I was like, change the finish. Strap this man up out here with his size doing flips. Yes, let's go. Uh, this man, Suji, yeah, it was incredible in this match. Yeah, the spare from the beginning was awesome. And honestly, I think the spare ended up being his uh, weakness there. He went for it several oh, times. Oh, he got drop kicked? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's not a drop kicked him from the spear. Yeah, some of, some, of those, um, some of those counters that Sonata had worked out for uh suji's spear were really awesome yeah some of the some of the counters that suji had for the big maneuvers from um sonata were like actually it reminded me a lot of the training that we do like inside like it's total lucha rezu stuff like he went for the deadfall that one time and he like he did a cartwheel out of the deadfall i was like no way Like I didn't, I didn't uh, message him, but I was like, Matt needs to see this match. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a lot of really cool stuff in that match. Yeah, there's a lot of great yeah. counters and just like such an unknown because like like you said, we haven't really seen like what what is Suji's you know arsenal. Like we don't know what his finish is, we don't know what his signature is, comeback. We don't know anything. All we knew was the spear because at the end of the last show he speared uh, Sonata, which was awesome. Um, so that was the only thing we knew about him that he did a great spear. But then yeah, he unleashed all these great moves and it was awesome. Yeah, bro, future world champion. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. He's he's the man. I mean. I like him so much that I, I feel like that means he's going to be like fourth in the pecking order when it's all said and done. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, this was awesome. And I thought, I thought Sonata was great too. And Sonata's getting up. You know, what's funny. Uh, Sonata does get a lot of hate from people, but like, I think that this is one of those things with Sonata. And this is me personally speaking, where a lot of Western fans, they, they think of Sonata right now. The way they think of Wato winning the best of the Super Juniors. Mm. I think when people are like, Wato won the Super Juniors, they're like, you know, um, Sonata, you know, is the world champion. That's boring. I think you're telling on yourself that you don't, you're not dialed into this product and you're behind the eight ball and you don't know what the fuck is actually going on. And, and you know what? It's fine too because New Japan's like the number three company out there right now. You know what I mean? So it is hard for everybody to be dialed in on everything, but there's a lot of like quote unquote experts that they just don't know what's actually happening in this company and things are on the up, like going up and they're missing it. They're like totally missing it. Yeah. It's very interesting reading and listening to reviews from the, from the bigger sites and just some, some of the key stuff that they're missing. And yeah, some of the story elements that they're missing when they're reviewing new Japan now. It's because they're 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 di- they're diving in only on the big shows, and they don't know what's actually going on, and they're telling on themselves without actually, you know, realizing it because they think these old narratives are still playing out, and it's it's not, you know, like I get it, you know, we've been critical of Sonata for years. This is not the same guy, man. Like he's just not. And you look at the reign he's having, the match with Okada. The match with Hiromu and now the match with Suji, all three totally different kinds of wrestlers, all on a wide spectrum of experience and skill set and styles. And we're we're talking about three four and a half star matches, you know, pretty much universally recognized across the board. That's not a boring wrestler. And I get it. I understand there's some people are like, well, look at who he's in the ring with. Well, We'll see. He was in there with a young boy (laughs) and they just had like a really, this was a match that everyone was shitting on, bro. People were shitting on this match. They're like, there was no build. This match was awesome. This match was so awesome. And, and people were upset because Suji was coming off of an excursion with no, with no matches leading into it. And, you know, and then, Oh, it's Sonata. Well, they had probably, one of the most compelling Dominion matches in years. We've had a lot of bad Dominion main events over the past few years. And like, this has probably been, am, am I out of line saying, now I'm not saying it's on the same level, but this might be the best Dominion main event since Okada Omega. Yeah. I mean, you see, you look back a year. I mean, we had Okada, Jay White in the main event and that felt flat compared mm-hmm. to this match. Um, yeah, this is just a whole different energy. I mean, if anybody 
did not like this matchup. Just listen to the crowd reaction. This man, Yota Suji, was super over uh, in Osaka. Over 7,000 people chanting his name. They've never seen him wrestle in his new form. This guy was an instant star night one. Yeah. And you know, another thing, too, is like we are not part of that conglomerate of fans that are going to try and convince you that Sonata's already a. Like, we say he's a star, but when we say he's a star, we mean like the potential is there. We're not going to sit here and say he's so quote unquote over, right? Mm-hmm. But I think he's on his way, man. Yeah. I don't think that the, the, the shows preceding this give you the evidence that he's some sort of quote-unquote megastar. I don't think that's happened yet. But look at the houses they've drawn in these big events with him on top. Business is not going down. If business was going down, they would have took the title off of him. I said from day one that there was no way on God's green earth they send him into the G1 as champion, and look what's happening. I was totally wrong. Clearly, someone in the company has got faith in this guy. Something's happening here. It might not be what everyone was tr- like, what the Puro elitists and the like Shinny Han freaks were trying to claim, mm-hmm. saying that he was already made and it was he was already a star, and you know he was getting these monster reactions. That was not happening. But I have noticed defense after defense, the matches are getting better. He's getting more confident, and the crowds are reacting in kind. And now the next real test is he's going into the G1 as champion. It feels like he might go to Wrestle Kingdom as champion now. Yeah, I'm, you know, kind of early fancy booking. I'm thinking Naito Sonata, the main event of the Dome. Yeah, that might happen. So uh, this match was awesome. And uh, if they had put the title on Suji, I wouldn't have blamed him. I love this guy. <laughs> no, he, was, he was over and that was awesome. The whole match was great. I've got some questions here on this match. Uh, first, Rambo and Slam Pigs. His thoughts on Suji's performance in a big show main event so soon after coming back from excursion. I thought he held up his end well, and the moment didn't seem too big for him. The best post-excursion performance since Okada in 2013. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a ton of young lions come back since then. Okan, Narita, Umino, Hiromu. Uh, Jay White, a lot of guys have come back since we've been doing this show, but yeah, none of them. Evil. Are, yeah, evil. <laughs> Yoshihashi. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Suji's yeah definitely up there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, next question from okay okay eight ninety. How do you feel about Sonata's short main events compared to the usual New Japan mains? Is it refreshing or lackluster? Refreshing. Get to it. <laughs> Not every match has to be an epic. Right. We don't need the 30, 45-minute, hour-long title matches every single time. Because if you do that every time, then they're not special anymore. Has this been his normal, like, 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes? I think they have been a little shorter with Sonata, yeah. But, yeah. It, you know, over the New Japan is known for having these long, classic matches. They don't normally go 17 minutes in the main event. Yeah, I mean, there's some other matches on this card that were longer uh, than the main. Um, but yeah, I'm liking the pacing and the length. I mean, if they're of this quality, I don't see any reason to change it. This match was great, and I thought Sonata was great the whole time. 
Uh, another question here is: Would you keep Suji in the main event scene? Um, I mean, yeah, I would, but I don't know if that's the plans that they have for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll see now. You know, well, I guess it's kind of in question. I guess if he's still in Lij because post match they they left him there um, by himself. But um, with him being in Lij, you know, he's in, in one of the top factions, and he has to surpass Shingo and Naito as a top heavyweight. So I think he'll probably have some big matches, um, but I'm not sure if he'll be you know obviously challenging for titles every month. Yeah, it kind of probably feels like when when. Uh, like, for instance, when Sonata first came in, he got big wins in the G1 over, like, Tanahashi, people like that. And it was like, oh, shit, he might be a main eventer. And then he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if, if we're going to go by uh, Gato's booking, this was probably, like, here's your test. Now let's scale back and let's get you plugged into a tag team or let's get you plugged into, like, uh KOPW or the US title, something like that. Like they're probably gonna move him to the mid card, honestly. Yeah, kind of build him back up. Yeah. Uh MJSPR says now that Narita, Shooter, and Suji are back, whose work do you like the best? And do you think all three will be IWGP world champions in their careers? I think so. Um, but you know, you never know. And then obviously Yamora is still sitting out there in the wings and he's incredibly talented as well um but they got four pillars four <laughs> real pillars uh tony have you seen much of uh narita and umino no i haven't this was the first time i've ever seen umino wrestle this show ah, i know of narita but i couldn't tell you have you ever seen shibata wrestle yeah i know he's like little that's all shibata, that's all you right? need to know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, all three of those guys are great. Like you mentioned, too, yeah, Yumura is still you know, out on excursion, uh, too. And, yeah, in the video package for the six-man match, they have the whole, like, new generation versus current generation. Well, yeah, they're really building up this new generation, and I do think like, all those guys are going to be, like, our new set of main eventers. We're going to get several domes with, like, Umino versus Suji and Umino versus Narita and Narita versus Suji. Like, there's going to be a ton of great stuff coming from those guys. Bro, it feels like 2013 in New Japan right now. Yeah. Yeah. People talking shit. <laughs> saying this company was dead. <laughs> uh, Dr. Larry the Dark says, New wave of main eventers, Sonata and Finley, have really jumpstarted the new main event style. How do you guys feel about the sprint style main events without the feeling out periods? Personally, it reminds me of Choshu and Tenryu getting right to the point. Like, to me, it's really fun. Yeah, I mean, that's something that... Um, you know, uh, Choshu is really known for, and um, Tenru to another extent, where like he really revolutionized the, the the working style of New Japan, where like they they said he worked in this speed burst style, where the matches went short, very high octane, and and you know high impact, and they could end on a win, and I like that, you know, but I also don't think that every match needs to be that way. Me personally, my my idea of pro wrestling is that I probably align closer to like I don't know if you've ever heard John Moxley talk about his philosophy his philosophy behind pro wrestling, but he's like, there's no reason it should be just one thing. It could be whatever the fuck you want it to be. There's many different ways to work a wrestling match, just like 
when you're watching real fighting, a fight can go five rounds and be epic, or it could end in a snap, you know, and mm-hmm. anything in between. I like that. I like when there's unpredictability. As long as, like what Tony said, as long as the quality is high, I really don't care how long or short the match goes, realistically. Yeah, Tony, as a wrestler, do you kind of have a, a preference when you're going out to shows where if a booker's like, you know, I want you to wrestle a long match or a kind of a sprint style? Do you kind of have a preference or any kind of thoughts on that difference of, uh, difference of psychology? Who wants to get a shit in? <laughs> <laughs> 45 minutes, get all my shit in. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's dependent on the day, the opponents. Uh, we're working a lot of tags right now, so it's like, you know, what are these guys – how are they like what style are they are they bigger than us are they the same size is one bigger is one smaller are they less experienced are they more experienced what weak point are we going to try to expose of theirs you know are we going to follow the rules or are we going to not follow the rules because we just make it up as we go a lot of times you know are we are we going to cheat today maybe we will maybe we need to cheat so like i we, I feel like, are trained in both. You know, we go out and do a three-minute sprint, or we can have a – I think the longest match I've had was a 45-minute tag match with an old man. So, like, we can we can do whatever's needed, but it's different every day. It's different every match. In terms of – Never have the same match twice. As, like, a fan – your enjoyment of wrestling. I mean, what you prefer in like a, a main event. I like both because I've enjoyed the classic style of the slow build long main event. Mm-hmm. And I also like the matches that are 10 minute sprints, like the Archer Osprey match. Yeah. I know that's not a main event. That wasn't a main event. Felt match, like one. But how- so, I mean, I like both, and I really like like how, when you put it, if it's unpredictable and it's not what I thought they were going to do. Mm. Yeah. So, like, I really got into this match when uh, when he speared him out of the leapfrog. Yeah, I was like, oh, was okay, sick. here we go. We're going <laughs> into something. We're not going to follow the what I thought we were doing, which was the normal 33 minutes classic style for a main event. When he speared him out of that leapfrog, I was like, okay, we're – Cooking a little faster here. <laughs> yeah, no headlocks, no, no, you know, arm ringers, no feeling out pace, you know, none of that. Like straight to the big moves. Well then Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with either way. Like it's just who who are the two people in the ring? Right. And what's the story? What are you trying to get over? I mean, th- that's the cool thing is like these guys are probably gonna lock it up again someday, maybe even in the G one this year. We don't know. And maybe the match is different the next time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it should be different. Suji tried to sprint him. It didn't work. Maybe he tries to ground him the next time. It's hard to tell, you know? Yeah. Um, let's see. Dr. Dr. Larry Dark also says, Suji, Umino, Narita, Coglin, Kid, the new blood is here, and I think Yota stood out the most. Hell, if New Japan scoops up SB Kento, and if they convince Kaito to jump, they could be set for the next 20 years. Who are your guys... Who are you guys thinking makes the biggest statement in G1? And do you think Eddie Kingston coming off hernia surgery survives the tour? It's a lot of questions rolled into one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, 
uh, New Japan has an embarrassment of talent, which is really a testament to the one thing that they're doing right, that their bigger competitors in AEW and WWE fucking suck at, which is they don't know how to create talent from the ground up. They only know how to sign guys from the outside that may or may not pan out. And they're good at that, but they don't have homegrown talent. That's what New Japan has. They didn't, during that whole bidding war, they could have signed, hypothetically, a lot of people, but they didn't. And instead, they trained these guys and they invested. And now they've got like eight or nine different people (laughs) waiting in the ring. I always say rings waiting in the wings and um that's exciting so it's very very good um and yeah i think we all have the best uh wishes for eddie kingston and hopefully he has a great tournament he's fully healthy yeah and then last question here rainbow and slap pig says uh suji narita and umino all seem to be slotted for prominent roles going forward the la dojo guys now also are in the picture any thoughts on the overall talent level and the strength of that generation of young lions relative to other generations you know we're we're kind of combining multiple generations of guys into one thing right mm-hmm. but if we're just talking about everyone that's hitting at the same time right now uh so you got suji you got Narita, you got Umino, you got Yamura waiting in the wings. Then you've got Kid, Kevin Knight, Coglin, Clark Connors. Am I missing anybody? Uh, DKC. I, I'm not going to include DKC, not because he doesn't have that talent or that he's just not involved in New Japan proper just yet, but hmm. he's probably also waiting in the wings. And if you count him, you're looking at nine guys, but realistically right now we have a guaranteed eight individuals that are just they're all incredible i I can't sit here and tell you this is the greatest quote-unquote class they've ever had because you you go back and you look at the generations when like the three musketeers and like uh you know um jushin thunder liger came in that's like those four guys alone and then you also look at like the generations when uh like Tanahashi and Nakamura and um, Shibata. Shibata came in and a few others, Goto. But I can't remember any time they ever had eight dudes like this, all killers, all studs, all young, hungry, waiting to just fuck shit up. Like I've never seen this from this company. So it's pretty promising. And then, and then when you consider that like Eddie Thorpe came out of that class too, it it and and then DKC it's it's very very like talent rich plus Oleg Bolton's like right around the corner oh yeah <laughs> and, and, and Oscar Lube and Oscar uh, Lube yeah Yuto Nakashima it, yeah Oiwa Oiwa and Fujita. Fujita yeah it's kind of crazy but like Oleg Bolton number four like ranked wrestler in the world is about to like be <laughs> it's about to be unleashed. He, oh, I, I, we forgot to mention, he got hit by Archer, and he, like, basically, he, like, sold it, but not really. <laughs> he took it, he's like, oh. <laughs> Everyone else was bumping off of that, and he just kind of leaned over the guardrail slightly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what we've been saying for a while now on this show is kind of coming to fruition. We've been saying, like, 
New Japan has all these pipelines. They have the LA Dojo, there's a Noge Dojo, We've got the Fale Dojo. We have all these, you know, international talents that they're kind of cultivating and, and developing on their own. Like when they're all ready, it's going to be great. And you know, I'll say we had to wait a little bit, but now it's finally happening. These all these guys are all coming back from excursion. Yeah, you know, finally the LA Dojo boys are being plugged in. Like you mentioned, Yu Yomura, he's going to be coming back soon, and then we're going to send off, yeah. Oleg and Oscar and Vegeta and Nakashima when they come back they're going to be great too it's like the pipeline's incredible and now with the whole new you know New Japan Academy system and um, also there's just still the Folly Dojo like you're still like this kind of endless pipeline of talent the Folly Dojo has a lot of really promising guys um, but the three biggest uh, Villa Lobos mm-hmm. Michael Richards and Richard Mulu they don't need all of them to hit. If just one of those guys hits and you combine that with everyone else that they've got, like what, what are we, what are we talking about? That's so much <laughs> talent. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you bro. Like, and I'm not trying to be, I know we've mentioned WWE this episode more than we normally do, but like, have they ever had 10 guys come out of their program ever that <laughs> were on this level? And I'm talking about combined cumulative from all times, like, I don't think they ever have. No. There's, like, less than five true stars that have ever come out of their performance center. Homegrown. Yeah, I think the closest thing that they might even have to this was, like, that OVW class that was Shelton Benjamin, Batista, Cena, Orton. That's the closest thing, and you can't Also, Lesnar was in that Oh, yeah, Lesnar, yeah. And Lesnar, but, like... They don't really get the actual credit for that because that wasn't them. <laughs> that was just was some tra- guy they were paying. Wasn't that Les Thornton doing the training? No, that was uh, Danny Davis and Cornette. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else was doing the training with them. I forget, but it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, like that's the that's the most talent rich group. But like that was, you know, that's like also like you know the Rock, the Rock, you know, training in Memphis. Like that doesn't count. Yeah, besides that, yeah, I mean... But when you look at their actual dojo, their performance center, who has come out of there that, that could touch these guys? That, like, wasn't already over on the indies? Nobody I can think of. N- nobody, bro. Like, nobody. Yeah. Ma- maybe Rusev. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have very many guys. Like, that's that is one of the most wasteful... They are not good at developing talent over there. Like legit. Yeah, it's pretty they, they've bad. never produced anybody. Like I don't know, maybe Strowman. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Like that's it. Yeah. Uh, Roman, I guess. I don't know. Maybe Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Not it's not like his dad was a Hall of Famer or anything. His whole family <laughs> is, you know. Whatever. <laughs> but but uh, that is pretty much, that's going to do it for the questions. Um, any final thoughts on the show you guys have? Uh, I liked it overall, you know, the whole show. It was kind of long being, when I saw it first at four and a half hours, I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> but, but, you know, it kind of went through pretty quick. It wasn't, I couldn't think of any matches that really felt like they slowed down except for the two in the middle. The uh, House of Torture and the, the Finley match was kind of slower, but Right. The rest of the I, show was good. I, I pretty much concur. I thought everything was good to great. And the other aside from the quality of the, the matches and the great production value, I think just 
all the, the, the talking points, all the different, you know, returns and angles, like we don't get a lot of that in new Japan. So when it's all kind of boiled down to one show, it's really uh, newsworthy. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And I thought that that elevated the show a, a quite a bit. Yeah. It was an awesome show, you know, dominion traditionally the, the number two show for new Japan, but it hasn't always been that way. Kind of booking wise the last couple of years and just due to pandemic and just kind of due to some of the, the booking patterns. But uh, I thought this show was really great and it, it could compete for, you know, show of the year against uh, Russell Kingdom. So we have two shows coming up this week. I think I'm just going to run through the cards. We're not going to do like full preview or predictions necessarily, but uh, this coming week on June 9th, the All Together Again card, uh, the joint production between New Japan, All Japan, and NOAA is taking place. Um, on this show, in the pre-show, we have Rizuki Taguchi, Yo, Black Menzo Ray, and Ryo Inoue. Versus Atsushi Kotege, Seki Yoshiaka, Alejandro, and Super Crazy. And then on the proper card, we have Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi versus Masa Kitamiya, Daiki Inaba, and Yoshiki Inamura. Next, we have Kosei Fujita and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Chris Ridgway and Sean Legacy. Shota Umino versus Yoshitatsu follows that. Next match, we have uh, Hakotu Amore and Sh- uh, Shuji Ishikawa versus Go Shiozaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima. Uh, next match on the card, Renarita, El Desperado, and Minoru Suzuki, the team of Strong Style versus Nomichi Marafuji, Takahashi Segura, and Junta Miyawaki. Uh, following match, we have Francesco Akira, TJP, Aaron Hinari, Great O'Conn, and Jeff Cobb of uh, the United Empire taking on Jun Saito, Rei Saito, Ryuki Honda, Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamora. Following that, LIG team of Naito, Shingo, and Bushi take on the All Japan uh, Triple Crown Champion, Yuji Nagata, Suwama, and Yuma Anzai. Uh, following that, Sonata, Yoshinabu Kanemaru, and Taka Michinoku of just five guys take on Jake Lee, Yohei, and Tadasuke of good looking guys. And the semi main event is Amasaka. Atsuki Aoyagi and Hiromu Takahashi taking on Master Wato, Rising Hayato, and Hayata. And then your main event is Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kento Miyahara, and Kaito Kiyomiya versus Okada, Yuma Aoyagi, and Kano. So a lot of matches on this card. Um, mo- mostly, aside from my, just the, the one Umino versus Yoshitatsu, that's the only... Um, singles match everything else is all tag matches here uh real quick before we move on anything that you guys see here that uh you know it's kind of wet wet in your appetite uh i mean anytime you get uh ishii mixing it up with uh kiyomiya uh kiyomiya masa kiyomiya that'll be fun and uh daiki anaba and in the more like all three of those guys i feel like eric have good chemistry of ishii yeah and I'm thinking the top two matches, like where you have all the top stars from the heavyweight division, and then the top stars from the junior heavyweight division. That's gonna; those are both probably gonna be pretty outstanding. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I think there's good matchmaking taking place up and down the card here, really. But uh, I don't know how. It's gonna be a really good card. It's gonna be really fun. I don't know how like uh, necessary it is to see this show. <laughs> 
Right. It's going to be a pay-per-view on uh, NJPW World. The next day we have uh, New Japan Road. Uh, this is leading up to, I guess, what what's next? G1 Climax? For New Japan, yeah. Yeah. So New Japan Road, June 10th. Uh, the G1 Climax 33 block announcements will take place on the show. And then we have seven matches. We've got Yuto Nakashima versus Kosei Fujita in Young Lion action. Um, Great Bash Heel will take on Bolton Oleg and Oscar Luebe. Wonder who's going to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> Third match, Chaos team of Yo, Taguchi, Yano, and Yoshihashi take on the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Sho, Yujiro, and Evil. Fourth match of the night. Uh, Francesco Akira, TJP, and Aaron Hanari of United Empire take on the Bull Club team of Dan Maloney, Clark Connors, and Ghetto. Fifth match of the night, Oiwa and Goto take on uh, Bull Club's new team, the War Dogs, Alex Coughlin and Gabriel Kitts. We're going to get our first look at this new Bull Club tag team uh, making their debut. Uh, semi-main event, Wato, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Okada will take on Tiger Mask 4, Desperado, Ren Narita, and Shota Umino. And then your main event is Elimination uh, style match where just five guys, team of Sonata, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Doki, and Takamichinoku take on the LIJ team of Naito, Shingo, Yotasuji, Hiromu, and Bushi. So, um, looks like Suji is still for the time being slotted with LIJ in that main event there. Yeah. Uh, Tony, do you want to stick around for the closing of the show or do you need to head out? I'll stick around with you guys. All right, cool. Um, so moving on uh, to the news here, uh, Will Ospreay did an interview with uh, Chris Van Leet and it was addressing his contract status. We know that he said that uh, his contract is set to expire in uh, February of 2024. And then Ospreay uh, said on the, the Van Leet show that he doesn't want to move to the United States as he is very confident that him and New Japan are going to work something out because he just doesn't want to live in America. Osprey said, that's my full stop thing. I just don't want to. Uh, he admitted he's tipping his hand a bit by saying he doesn't want to live in the U.S. And I'm basically saying well, we'll sort something out with NJPW. Worker's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, though. Uh, in, in defense of uh, Osprey, this is something he's been saying for years and years now. Like, he's had his contract come up, and he's always said that he has no intention of working in, or living in America. Uh, he didn't want to go. He had offers from WWE. He didn't go there when ring of honor was still, you know, a major thing. And there was no AEW. He was working there and he did not enjoy working and traveling and living in America. He'll come here periodically to work shows, but he doesn't like America for, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever, you know, that, that is, he just doesn't want to live there. So, um, I'm not saying that there couldn't hypothetically be like, Tony Khan or, or Vince McMahon or whoever it is that owns WWE <laughs> in a couple of years, if, if they want to, um, you know, cut the check, I'm sure there's probably, and I'm just guessing, I'm sure there's gotta be a number that that would be enticing enough to maybe get this guy to, to cross the bridge. But, um, you know, he seems to really love new Japan. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is being genuine because he's been pretty consistent in that message for like seven or eight years now. Yeah, I think the only difference is now, I think he has a little bit more other people talking in his ear now. We know he talks to Jericho a lot. He's got a lot of advice from Jericho on how to be a heel, and he, you could have guys like that kind of say, hey, you need to you know, get, get your big money run in America. 
I mean, I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't begrudge him if that ended up being his, his path, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of money to be made over here, but, uh, at the same time, there is that whole thing where like they have never really made, they've never really fully, completely, completely fully made a foreigner, the top guy in new Japan. Mm-hmm. Like there's been guys who've had runs, Kenny, Hogan, Vader, but like they've always kind of been under somebody else. Yeah. I am kind of wondering if like maybe Osprey like wants that to be part of his legacy. Like I'm the one guy that really made it, like actually made it to the top and wasn't subjugated to an Okada or a Tanahashi or a Naito. Yeah. Because they've never had a foreigner be the ace in this company ever. Yeah, definitely would be interesting to see if that is something his goal, and yeah, he can, does he continue to stick with New Japan to kind of try to achieve that goal. Uh, so, in other news, uh, we have our first two title matches set for uh, New Japan Strong's Independence Day shows. So, on uh, night one, Catch Two Two will defend the Junior Tag Team titles against Dan Maloney and Clark Connors. And then the main event for night two, Kenta will defend the strong openweight championship against Eddie Kingston. Nice. Uh, then we'll have uh, New Japan versus All Japan at the Blue Justice 12 event on June 18th. The Triple Crown champion, Yuji Nagata, will join Tanahashi, Kojima, and Master Wato to face All Japan's Yuma Anzai, Atsuki, Yumi Yuma Aoyagi and Kento Miyahara And like we uh, mentioned earlier in the show For the first time uh, Fantastic Mania Festival is headed to Mexico June 30th CMLL will present Fantastic Mania um, And so we have some matches announced for that Ayudaz, Captain Suicida And Hombre Bala Jr. Will take on La Ola Negra And Okamura We'll have a uh, Revolos Incredibly Blessed Amazonas tag match with, uh, <laughs> I have no idea how to say any of these people's names, uh, but uh, Stephanie Vercur is in the match. Uh, Tiger Mask will take on El Satanico. El Desperado will take on Mascara Dorada 2.0. Uh, Atlantis Jr., Mystico, and Soberano Jr. will take on Bushi, Naito, and Teton. And then what looks to be the main event right now is going to be for the NWA World Historic Welterweight title. Our good friend Rocky Romero will defend against Volador Jr. This should be a good match. I am one. Well, they've been building to it for a while now. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. You got to wonder if she hadn't got injured, I got to think that there was a good chance that Sasha, or I'm sorry, uh, Mercedes (laughs) Manette. I wasn't even trying to be funny. I just messed up. <laughs> I, I think she probably was planning to be on this show, don't you think? You think? Well, I mean, she's talked about like going to Mexico and doing the, you know. Bro, she was there for like three weeks uh, earlier this year and some of last year. She's gone many times and like has always wanted to work Arena Mexico and they're working Arena Mexico. I kind of get the feeling after that Stephanie Vicar match that like had she not been injured, we'd probably be seeing her on this show. Maybe, yeah. That would have been cool. Um, in other news, uh, Kenta defeated Nick Wayne for the Defy Championship this past weekend. So I guess Kenta will be doing uh, more U.S. dates. Then, uh, I, I guess uh, 
Nick Wayne ain't got that dog in him, is what I guess. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Dragon Gate reveal is a part of their Rainbow Gate 2023 Day One event that the current IWGP Junior Champion Hiromu Takahashi will be appearing at for the promotion on their July 2nd event in Kobe. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, Lance Archer stated uh, that he's been uh, out with a torn triceps injury, and that's why he hasn't wrestled much of 2023. And then, uh, last news item here: uh, we had some New Japan uh, guys on this past Friday's AEW Rampage. Zack Saber Jr. defended the TV title against Action Andretti. Willow defended the Strong Women's title against Emi Sakura, and then Shibata defended the Ring of Honor Pure Championship against Lee Moriarty. So, Forbidden Door season, lots of New Japan guys on uh, Rampage. I wonder if... Is Shibata only doing pure stuff right now? Yeah. So far, yeah. I think with Hiromu going to Dragon Gate, maybe we could get him and Yamato? Yeah, it's him and Yamato. Oh, it is? Yeah. It's already on the poster for Kobe World. Oh, I didn't see that. Bro, maybe we could get... Let me versus Yamato for the title. Yeah, that'd be I dope. Yesterday. Yeah, it's hmm. on the uh, poster for Kobe World, them two. Nice. Well, uh, we just got a couple questions here, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, True Life Soldier says, as a big LIJ fan, I've been following Naito's rise to the top of New Japan for seven years, and it's been quite the roller coaster ride, filled with short-lived highs and tons of grief. My question to y'all is the following. In the near future, do you guys see a possible dominant, in all caps, Naito Reign as IWGP World Heavyweight Champion? Or has the window of opportunity closed on that chapter? Tanahashi held New Japan's top belt for more than 1,300 combined days and Okada for more than 2,000 combined days, whereas Naito only had it for more than 300. With three reigns and only three combined defenses compared to Okada's five reigns and 36 combined defenses, it seems like the LIJ leader got the short hand of the stick booking wise. It is, it's especially annoying when everybody knows he's still the top merch seller and arguably the most popular wrestler in new Japan. Maybe something happened between Naito and Gato's wife that only the three of them know about. <laughs> Interesting uh, question here. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, Naito's just not, the ace, and uh, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be the ace, especially at this point in his career. You know, maybe he will get another world title run. Like I'm speculating, maybe we get Naito Sonata at the Dome um, next year, and maybe Naito will win there and get another title run. But at this point in his career, I have a hard time seeing him have you know a long title run where he like he eclipses like Okada's last big long title reign. He's just not the ace. I mean, I, I agree. Like, when you look through the annals of history, there's times where there's guys that have all the, tool, all the tools, all the talent in the world, but there's just bigger stars above them, you know? You look at Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, someone's got to be Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> okay? I mean, you know, uh, you look at... Sting and Ric Flair, someone's got to be Luger, all right? (laughs) (laughs) That's Tetsuya Naito, man. I'm sorry. Um, And I got to be honest with you. 
I don't know that he's the top merch seller in Japan. He might be, but I actually don't know that. I don't have those numbers. And I'm not denying that he is is or isn't or anything like that. Um, it is it is just kind of a situation of timing. He got caught in between Tanahashi and Okada. And sometimes when you get caught in between two of the greatest of all time, it doesn't matter how great you are. Like you just can't live up to that. You know, there's a reason why when people talk about boxing, they're always talking about the eras of Ali and Tyson. But no one wants to talk about Larry Holmes. Okay? <laughs> Larry Holmes is one of the greatest fighters of all time. I, I literally put him probably in my top six heavyweights of all time, but guess what? Everyone really just wants to talk about Ali and Tyson. You got Ali. That's your Tanahashi. You got your Tyson. That's that's your Okada. Unfortunately, Naito just came along, came along a little too in the middle, and he got caught between two of the greatest. You know, you got Bruno, you got Hogan, and then you got Backlund. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna say something, Tony? No, just laughing at Josh's <laughs> analogy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's facts. And I mean, also, you know, Naito, he'll continue to be a top guy. And also, you know, you'll always have that kind of top baby face guy that's beloved by the crowd, but they just are not going to always get the big one. And also, you know, another thing, too, he, he got hit with the uh, the COVID reign. You know, he won the title right before COVID happened. So maybe he would have had a long reign in 2020. We don't know. When, when you also putting it into, oh, go ahead. Does he need? He doesn't need a long title reign. In, in Naito's the, already slotted at the top. Would it help him anymore? In the eyes of his fans, and he has a rabid fan base. This is essential because they—he's okay. never been the ace, and they will never be satisfied until he's the ace. And you know what? Like, let's put this in the context of like another fandom. Like, people love Kenny Omega. He was never the ace. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's people. He was just the champion. He was just the champ. I mean, he, he was treated yeah. respectfully, but he was not the ace. Right. And even his title, reign, his title reign was not out of this world. And and you know what? When we put this in the context of uh, more appropriate historical analysis with New Japan, there's always kind of been these dark aces, these guys that were really over, but were never the true top guy, you know? And every generation had one of them. Um you know, Chono was never, I mean, Chono had one title reign, one, and he had one, like, and it was only for like a month because he got injured and he was on top in this company for a decade. He just happened to come along at the same time as Muto and Hashimoto. And unfortunately, Chono wasn't Hashimoto and he wasn't, Ch and he wasn't Muto. And how do you, how do you compete with those guys? You know? Yeah. The same thing happened to, uh, um, ten or not Tenru? Um, God, what was his name? I know who you. We, we were talking about him earlier. Oh my God, it's gonna freaking it's gonna bother me Choshu? so bad. Yeah, Choshu. Choshu came along, hottest guy in the hit like in the history of the company. Literally, like Stone Cold Steve Austin level like levels of popularity before Stone Cold Steve Austin even existed. But you know what? He wasn't what the company wanted. He wasn't Fujinami. He wasn't Inoki. 
He was the dark ace. They've always had a dark ace. Even Nakamura, you know, he got these mega runs in the early part of his career, but like he wasn't Tanahashi. Mm. Ultimately, he couldn't compete with Tanahashi. Tanahashi became the man and he always played second fiddle to him. I do think there is room for a lengthy, like, we just we we're kind of fantasy booking you and I, and like we think there's probably a Sonata Naito big money match down the line. They could put the title on Naito, right? Mm-hmm. He could have a lengthy run, and maybe that would satisfy some of these people. But like the reality is, look at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> How, like, okay, he has a definitive title run. What now? It doesn't matter. Like Okada's already got. Five title reigns, 36 defenses. I think if you combine with the new title, we're talking about more than that. Like, what what are we doing? Like, he's already had a Hall of Fame career. Isn't he? Didn't he already make the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, I think he got voted in last year, right? He got voted in. Like, what what more do you need? Like, Naito? Yeah. Yeah, in the Observer Hall of Fame. The only Hall of okay. Fame that matters, the real one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, Tony kind of hit the nail on the head with saying, you know, will it get him more over? Like, I don't think a well, long title run is going to get him any more over than he is right now. And he's well, like, I feel like Sonata, a title helps Sonata. Right. But like, it's not going to help Naito. The, I already one, view Naito as that level. Now, one thing Naito's never held this title. It is a new, it is technically oh, oh, a new title. Oh, we're talking title. about the new one. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it might be good for him to get into the lineage and all that. And maybe you give him a dominant run, but what is that going to do? You know what I mean? Like, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe there's business on the horizon that could be made out of this that we're not seeing, you know, whatever. But uh, honestly, at this point in 2023 or 2024, if you put the title on Naito, he's the transitional guy to the new generation. To the next guy. Yeah. He's not he, like that's all it would be. It would be uh congratulations, thank you for everything you did. But now we're gonna go with the, the new generation. Come, come hold the spear from Suji. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and Naito's body has been breaking down for years and years, and he's not the performer he was even three or four years ago. Yeah. How old is he? He's like it doesn't matter. Late thirties, right? He's in his like late thirties, but like he's got the the knees of a fifty year old man. <laughs> the knees are busted. He he can turn it on with the right guy on the right night. You know, if you put him in there with a uh, Osprey or Okada, sure. But like he, he's he's not turning up like he did four or five years ago. Like that's not happening. Like you know, Naito's knees are not walking in that building. <laughs> They're not walking through that door. <laughs> Oh man. Anyways, uh last question. MJ does PR says, what's next for Hanma? Uh, I mean, he needs to follow the route of all the other old guys and win a title from another promotion. He needs, he needs to go go to all Japan, challenge Nagata, or you know, go to Noah, go somewhere, get get him a belt. He could go to like freedoms. <laughs> <laughs> he could go to Big Japan and win the deathmatch title. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. That's like that's all he's got. Yeah. 
All right, uh, last thing here before we close the show, recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week for the excursion pick, I chose uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Michael Oku from Rev Pro's Revolution Rumble from March 26, 2023. Um, okay, so I got a chance to check this out. Uh, Dave was pretty favorable on it. He gave it like four and a quarter. It's sitting at an 8.04 on cage match, so pretty good. Um I think the company did a great job presenting it as like a dream match. So it really had that big match feel or as big as like a rev pro match can kind of feel in this day and age. Um, I don't know for me that I see it that way. Like, even (laughs) though I like Michael Oku and I know he's been elevated in their kayfabe, I I don't see him as like, you know, to me, a dream match would be like Zack Sabre coming in and wrestling pack. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but, um, it was definitely like a really good technical match and very much about like one upmanship. Uh, it didn't feel like Zach just ate Michael Oku alive or anything like that. It was pretty fun, but it did kind of drag just a bit. You know, they went t- just shy of 25 minutes, and I don't know if I need, uh, you know, a 25 minute physical te- chess match between, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Michael Oku, even though I feel like maybe also I'm a little spoiled on these faster paced Zack Sabre uh, TV title matches, you know, mm-hmm. um, there were some really cool counters and things like that, but they kind of teetered for my taste on the line of like doing like the first five to 10 minutes was like too slow. And then once it got going, they like did too much. And it was like the tones here are like really off. Um, at the end of it, though, Zack Sabre ended up winning like very definitively and kind of just gaining control and making it clear that like, though Oku's good, he's not on my level. And uh, there were some really great, you know, dramatic near submissions at the end. But like for me, I'm at the point where like I don't think Zack's gonna tap out to anything. Mm, yeah. So it's hard for me to like believe in a as good of a seller as he is and as intricate of a submission someone puts him in, like, I don't think he's going to get tapped, you know? So that kind of sucks the drama out a little bit for me. Um, a lot of people would probably call this a grapple fuck match. So it really kind of <laughs> depends. And, and especially like with, with a guy like Michael Oku, you would normally expect him to do a lot more high flying and stuff like that. There is a lot less of this than you would have expected. There's some good fighting spirit spots, but um, I'd probably go like, I'm probably lower on this than most people. I know Dave went four and a quarter. I'm probably like three and three quarters. That's just my personal taste. And, you know, I, I, I like the grabs. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, then for recommended match of the week, you chose uh, Young Bucks versus Okada and Ishii from the 2018 uh, Australia tour. And this was a really fun matchup. Uh, I would say, I would classify this as a Young, house show? Yeah, a young Bucks house show matchup. Which is still great, but when you've seen a ton of Young Bucks matches, you know, Josh, we've seen some some Young Bucks house show stuff. Like, they're going to do all the big spots, and they're going to be funny and do the, you know, do something cool, Nick. And, like, they're going to do all the talking, all, like, the Lucha Libre and all the kind of the cool. Lucha Libre? Yeah, all all their kind of cool, funny (laughs) spots, which is fun. I love Young Bucks, but if this was on a bigger stage, on a bigger show, it would probably be a better matchup, but... These guys are out here. It's Australia. They're having fun. You know, they're good friends of Okada. So there's kind of like a lot of funny, kind of fun interactions. And Okada, you know, working working uh, on the two sweet 
fingers to <laughs> as his body work for the match. And uh, Ishii was no nonsense with those guys coming in, you know, bulldozing all those guys. And, you know, a funny comment by Nick is like, maybe we should work heavyweight after he like, took down uh, Ishii. Um, but <laughs> but really fun. Like I said, Young Bucks house, do- house show style matchup. Hitting all the big spots, you know, going for the melter driver, more bang for your buck. But ultimately, uh, it was an Okada Rainmaker that put the Young Bucks away in Okada and Ishii one. Nice. Yeah, keep in mind, that was their first uh, match wrestling heavyweights in the company. Well, I mean, not technically, but like that was like their first like foray into the heavyweight division. Yeah. All right. What you got for uh, excursion match of the week? This week, um, let's do that Suji heavyweight world heavyweight title match down in CMLL. All right, um, and then for the recommended match of the week, we're gonna go back to 2012 Best Super Juniors, the Bastard Pack versus Jushin Thunder Liger. That match sucks, bro. It does. I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony, before we uh, get out of here, obviously we've uh, we've had you doing reviews. We've had wrestlers on the show before, but we've never had a wrestler do a review with us before. So that's really cool of you. Oh, um, but glad is to be it, the first. <laughs> is there uh, anything that you want to uh, you know tell the listeners? You know where you're working how they can find you, what you got cooking up, anything like that. Uh, I mean, right now we're trying to break into the Northeast. Uh, I did some CZW earlier this year, and Fabu's been a mainstay at CZW. So we're trying to branch that out to, like, uh, New York, New Jersey, try and take over that area. We pretty much dominated. You got to get to where the guys are. (laughs) We've already taken over Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, so we got to go somewhere else. Maybe Texas, you know, just trying to find new places to work, new and, tag uh, teams to wrestle. The companies that you guys are currently working for, you named some of those like southern states. Like, what do you guys? What have you guys been doing over there? Uh, we're current tag champions in Birmingham, Alabama. So that's North Alabama. We're Triple Crown tag champs in. Let's see, the companies are Biloxi, Mississippi, Mobile. And Foley, Alabama, which is like basically Pensacola. Huh. So it's like that whole Gulf Coast area. And those are the two main companies we work for. Uh, the this one in the south has Scott Armstrong work. You know, he's like the uh, producer there. So we like to go up there and see Scott work with him. And but, uh, if someone wanted to find you guys, like, is are any of these like matches or promotions like available, or you know, all of our matches go up on YouTube. Uh, we used to rely on the promoters, and we found out we can't do that. So we got our own young boy to come around with a camera and videotape our matches, and we put them up on YouTube. It's not me. It's <laughs> not you. Josh wouldn't be our young boy. We had to go get a new green boy, <laughs> an even younger boy. <laughs> It's on all of our matches are posted to Fabu's page on YouTube, which is just Fabu Andre. Nice. And you guys got any uh, merch stores online anywhere? We do have merch. Uh, you can go to Pro Wrestling Tees. You can search my name or Fabu's name, and you should be able to get our tag team shirt. And Fabu has some of his singles. I'm still working on getting some merch for myself. Nice. And what about uh, social media? You guys are using Twitter or anything like that? 
I just reopened my Twitter because I was coming on here. <laughs> I'm not very active, but you can follow me if you want to. That's uh, Tony Donati one, and then my Instagram. I'm much more active. That's Tony dot Donati D O N A T I. Nice. And I just looked this up. Yeah. So it's Fabu Andre. If you guys uh, aren't sure how to spell that, it's F A B O O Andre, like Andre the Giant, and uh, you'll see a very flamboyant, painted up man <laughs> who looks like a butterfly uh there in the pictures and yeah it looks like you guys got a lot of uh promos a lot of matches some vlogs and stuff like that going on yeah he thinks he's matt cardona so he's filming everything that we do and it's <laughs> starting to get annoying <laughs> <laughs> well it, it might be annoying but you guys need to be uh doing the self-promoting and i'm seeing some uh oh, some i agree you guys got uh matches blanco loco eddie torres matt side yeah we beat state line make sure if you see those guys you tell them we beat eddie torres and damian angel <laughs> <laughs> we beat Blanco. Uh, we beat Mike Jackson. Nice. We'll be at GCW this next month coming up. I would just like to point out, you guys have never beaten me. <laughs> no, we've never beaten you, Josh. You're undefeated. <laughs> yeah, you know, awesome. I, I've seen uh, Tony wrestle several times here uh, throughout the uh, the Florida independent scene. Of course, I've seen him at the, the side dojo. And, man, this guy is really good. Check him out on YouTube. Check his matches out. Like, I, I've told Josh, you remind me kind of like a – uh, Chris Benoit with the kind of intensity uh, you have in the ring and the hard hitting and your, your suplexes. And so um, very hard hitting fast pace. Yeah, man. And so definitely I think people need to kind of catch on to you guys, follow them on YouTube, Twitter, check their stuff out. Cause these guys are the real deal. Yeah. You never know. We might, uh, we might be reviewing you guys in one of these super juniors one of these days. Hey, I mean, let's see. What was it? The uh, all together show had Sean legacy on it. He was the guy they chose at the Noah tryout I was out at. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, you did a tryout with Noah, and you've uh, you've gone and trained in Mexico and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, I stayed in Mexico for a month for one stint, and then I went back later, which is how I know uh, Stephanie, which is why I watched the Long Beach show. Real nice. quick, how how was the the pro wrestling Noah tryout? It was fun. It was a good time. I got to meet Nakajima and. Uh, Mayor Fuji. Nice. So I slapped my guy and I popped them too. And I was like, all right, that's good enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) They started laughing when I smacked him in the face. I go, all right, that's all I need. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome, man. Listeners go out, check out Tony Donati and Fabio Andre, check out all their independent work. Thanks for joining us. uh, Tony We'll definitely have to do it again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, that's going to wrap things up for us this week. Next week, we'll be back to uh, discuss New Japan Road. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Follow the network at Social Suplex. On Facebook, you can follow us at Social Suplex. Also, you can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, Josh is keeping a strong style. And you can always email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. 
and the great match generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.